Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kinda dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. And all that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars. Break the mold, mold, we back. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Stars Born. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Chris Arneson. This is part two of the ladies, the friends ladies episode. Uh, Before we get into it, uh, let me tell you about myself. If you haven't listened to the first 26 episodes, go ahead and do so. Uh, start with episode one, Will Ferrell. I am a author from Pullman, Washington, sitting in the second floor of the coffeehouse apartments right now in my room, looking out at the beautiful icy blue sky, beautiful sunny day here in Pullman, uh, 12.04 p.m. Saturday, St. Patrick's Day Eve, uh, March 16th, 2018 awesome day. Uh, can't believe the weather right now. It's gorgeous out there. Across the street from Washington State University, my alumni or alum or whichever. Um, so yeah, I'm an author. Check out my books. Sponge Cake, a mostly made up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Those are on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Noble. Uh, check out my blog, TheGoat1.blogspot.com My website, ChrisTheAuthor.com Follow me on Twitter at ChrisTheAuthor8 And Instagram, ChrisArneson8 And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast With a friend, family member, coworker, Anyone and everyone Doing it big, doing it live, doing it real Over here at a Starsborn HQ um, Thank you, thank you So, before we get into it uh, As you can see, the state of the episode for this one is Indiana. So I chose Indiana because it bore, excuse me, because Chicago is right next to it. And Chicago was the setting of Office Christmas Party, which Jennifer Aniston starred in. We talked about that yesterday. So that is the reason why I chose Indiana there. Um, let's see, before we get into the meat of the show. Let's um let's do a couple of things we do every episode. Let's do the Mariners update. So the Mariners are in spring training right now. The Seattle Mariners, my favorite baseball team of all time. But they are not playing. They have a few days off. So let's look at the Yankees game in honor of uh, friends in New York City. <coughs> they are hosting the Toronto Blue Jays. And they're ahead 8-4. to four. Bomb in the fifth inning. So... We will come back and check on that one. Let's do the NBA update. 
So, NBA update. Um, there's a sneaker giveaway trend taking over the NBA. This is by Nick DePaula at ESPN. So, after second preseason game with the Boston Celtics in 2017, Kyrie Irving walked off the court in Philadelphia and noticed a young, a young fan along the sideline wearing his number two uh, Cleveland Cavaliers jersey. On a whim, Irving kicked off his Nike Kyrie 3 signature sneakers and passed them to the beaming boy. Can you sign them? The young fan asked as he pulled a Sharpie out of his pocket. You're my favorite basketball player. I've got your jersey and everything, bro. I got you, bro, Irving said. Just like that, the latest NBA trend was born. The league's biggest stars signing and giving away their game-worn sneakers to fans. The 25-second clip on the league's official Twitter account garnered 960,000 views, nearly 8,000 retweets, and became an instant example of how personal players could be in just a sliver of time with their youngest, biggest supporters around the country. So there you go. There's your NBA update. It's all sneakers, baby. Um, let's see if the Lakers play today. No, the Lakers do not play. They're not going to make playoffs anyway. I don't know why. I'm still thinking LeBron, even though they're out of it. Um, let's see the Simpsons update. So each episode, we go over a Simpsons episode. This one is called Homer's, em- Homer's Enemy. Uh, episode 23 of season 8. Right there in the uh, golden era. May 4th, 1997. May the 4th be with you. Um, I chose this one because it's friend-related. Well, it's friend-related in that Homer tries to become uh, a a new employee, Frank Grimes, at the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint, the power plant, not PowerPoint. Um, Homer tries to befriend him, but Grimes is angered. And irritated by Homer's laziness and incompetence, despite leading a comfortable life. He eventually declares himself Homer's enemy and tries to publicly humiliate him to expose his flaws. Meanwhile, Bart buys a rundown factory for one dollar. <laughs> That's such a funny B story right there. I like that. Um, I think he was just like riding his bike around the factory. It's kind of like a... It's like Silicon Valley. It's like one of those one of those tech companies. They just buy a <clears throat> buy a big warehouse and ride a bike around it, throw down some beanbag chairs. Call it good. Uh let's see, let's get out of that. Let's do the pin of the episode. Every episode we do a different <clears throat> uh t shirt pin. I collected most of them from my baseball career, but some other ones too. And this is the last one, the very last pin in my collection. So this is going to be the last pin of the episode. It is Tournament of Champions 2004, and then the green home plate, and then the big trophy. And it says T-O-C in blue. This is a really, it's a nice one. It's not one of my favorites, but it's definitely not, not one of the worst ones either. It's right there in the middle. Um... Let's do the recipe. Every episode we read a different recipe or two. Since we were doing salads in part one, let's just keep up that uh, that good old salad trend. This one is 
sweet and sour broccoli salad. And this is from the um, Maywood Hills uh, recipe book, Cooking the Fast Way. Um, sweet and sour broccoli salad from Donna Seibert <clears throat> or Seibert, either one. Uh, let's do ingredients here. Four cups of broccoli florets, one cup of peanuts chopped, one cup of raisins, one teaspoon of onion powder, one cup of mayonnaise, two tablespoons of cider vinegar, two tablespoons of sugar. And directions. In the bowl, combine the broccoli, peanuts, and raisins. In another bowl, combine the mayonnaise, vinegar, sugar, and onion powder. Pour over broccoli mixture and toss to coat. Cover and refrigerate for at least two hours. And the yield is eight servings. Um, that sounds pretty good. I like some broccoli salad. My mom makes a really good broccoli, grapes. I think this this is a little different, but my mom makes one with broccoli, grapes, and bacon. It's good. And mayonnaise, too. It's a good one. Uh, let's do this one. Let's do one more. This is called tabula. Tabula. Uh, parentheses, wheat salad by Shervin Churchill. That's a name you don't see often enough. Shervin Sounds like a writer from the 1800s. Shervin Churchill? Sounds like... Sounds like Paul Bunyan's teacher. <laughs> Paul, Paul Bunyan's English teacher. Shervin Churchill. Or maybe Winston Churchill's younger brother or something. Um, his younger brother who likes to chop wood in the backyard. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Your ingredients for tabula. Two cups of dry wheat bulgur. Don't know what bulgur is. B-U-L-G-U-R. One cup of finely chopped parsley. One cucumber seeded and chopped. One third cup of extra virgin olive oil. One third cup of lemon juice. And two teaspoons of salt. And directions. Pour about six cups of boiling hot water over bulgur in a large bowl. Let stand for 30 minutes to an hour. Drain and cool. Add all other ingredients and mix well. Adjust the balance of salt, lemon juice, and olive oil to your liking. And there you go. There's your recipes for the day. Um, let's do the Calypso update. While we're, while we're doing all these weekly episode updates, let's just keep doing it. Calypso update. Uh, David Sedaris' latest offering. His 2018 book of essays. I am still on page 250. Have not read any of it since uh, yesterday, since part one. Um, yeah, it's really good though. Uh, maybe, maybe this afternoon, I should definitely go outside and get some fresh air. I, I went for a little walk this morning. Went to Walmart. Went to McDonald's. Ooh, gotta tell you guys what I did with McDonald's. So I got uh six sausage biscuits. Of course, I always go sausage biscuits, and got enough for tomorrow as well. But uh, I made, let's how many eggs did I make? I made four eggs, and then I put, I put uh, some eggs on each one of my sausage biscuits. So I've ate two so far, and I got one sitting right here. But I'm not gonna try to eat that during the podcast. That's just too much work. But eggs on a sausage biscuit, tricking it out, and I added a uh, coleslaw, 
and uh, sriracha as well, hot sauce. So pretty much making it like a five-star restaurant. That's how you do it. That's how you uh, step up the game with the McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I like it. Love it. So good. What was I saying? Calypso, McDonald's, beautiful day. Let's read the, um, let's keep doing the regular updates and read about Indiana since this is the Indiana episode before we get into Courtney Cox's, back to Courtney Cox's IMDb, pick it up where we left off. Excuse me. And, um, we left off at Scream 4, my favorite movie franchise, other than Back to the Future. All right. <clears throat> Anywho, I'm looking at right now at uh, Andrew F. Wood's Road Trip America. So we've been reading about the different states. Since each episode, we do a different state. So this one's Indiana. Uh, there's a picture here of... This is like an overhead picture taken from an airplane or helicopter of colonial modern cabins with private showers. Oh, wow. No more outdoor showers. One half mile west of Richmond, Indiana on US-40. And it looks just a little complex of a few cabins. Cabin. Um, here's Buckley's Restaurant on US-40. Cumberland, Indiana. Looks kind of like a old 50s diner. And here is a, some more cabins. Another picture of modern cottages for tourists. P- speaking of cottages, it's one of the four places I want to live in my life. Cottage in a forest, along with a cabin on a lake, a high-rise in a city, and a mansion by the sea. And also, I'm out here in a cottage country right now. Cottage country of uh, Pullman, Washington. That's what we like to say. But yes, this is a picture of Beauty Park tourist cabins in Indianapolis, Indiana. Population, 400,000. Okay, very cool, very cool. Let's read about it. Did you know? Here's a fun fact. Along with this unofficial designation as the Hoosier State, Indiana is also known as the Crossroads of America because of its historic location at the intersection of interstates and historic stagecoach lines. The National Road, roughly covered by U.S. Route 40, passes through Indianapolis while no less than seven interstate highways traverse the state. A national record. This was a highway state. Um, let's see. It's a good state for people who like to adopt highways. It's a good state for uh, moose lodges and elks clubs, eagle lodges, YMCA's. All those, uh, all those people who adopt highways, fraternities, and sororities, they adopt highways too. Um, see that here around here in Pullman. <laughs> Uh, let's see. This is Indiana here. Land of little pink houses, small town basketball teams with hearts of gold, and field upon field of corn and soybeans. Indiana beckons the motorist seeking America's heartland. 
but the Hoosier State also celebrates one of its heroes with a special museum unlike any other. Across the country, you may discover hundreds of libraries, museums, one-room schoolhouses, and plaques commemorating the lives of America's presidents. But what about the vice presidents? Those dependable but generally anonymous fellows who break Senate ties, attend state funerals, and stand ready in case something happens to the commander-in-chief. Fortunately, a Huntington site billing itself as the premier learning museum of Northwest Indiana has dedicated itself to educating Americans about the vice presidency throughout history, with special attention given to Indiana's favorite son. At the Dan Quayle Center and United States Vice Presidential Museum, you'll find a collection of gifts received by Quayle, an accounting of his efforts behind the scenes in the Gulf War, and his attempts to bring family values into political discourse. Admission is free, and best of all, could potentially include a visit by Dan Quayle himself, since he doesn't seem to be that busy these days. He's just wandering, he's just wandering around the halls. Um, tired motorists making the crowded crawl over Indiana's roof beneath Lake Michigan might be surprised when their stop at the Lake County Visitors Information Center leads to a nightmarish display of artifacts, period clothing, and bloody dioramas dedicated to the violent life and bullet-strewn death of John Dillinger. Wandering the exhibits of America's first public enemy number one, you'll find the broom-handled gun he used for a prison break and the infamous trousers of death worn by Dillinger on the night of his killing outside a movie theater. Trousers of death. <laughs> wonder if they're like Levi's. That would be like a Levi commercial. Like we got the or Brett Brett Favre wearing the Wranglers. He what if Brett Favre was wearing the trousers of death in the commercial? <laughs> the he would do it. Brett Favre would do it. He's just throwing a football and there's just like a skull and crossbones on his jeans. These are the trousers of death. They have like spikes on them. Uh, anyway, um, outside a movie theater. Prior to his shooting, the bank robber from Indiana and his gang of outlaws left a trail of corpses during their Depression-era crime spree. However, J- Joe Pinkston, a Dillinger file who collected many the many artifacts found in the museum, argued and said that Dillinger was paid by failing banks to rob them so they could collect insurance money. <coughs> Pinkston crafted a museum to prove his case in meticulously typewritten documentation next to each exhibit. After his death, the collection was sold and its new owners ignored the conspiracy theory. Today, you may view a bloody display of the Desperado's bullet-ridden corpse in wax and a simple warning that crime does not pay in Indiana. Heading south past Indianapolis, you may feel cosmic spirits pulling you toward yet another freak of nature, this time in the form of Gravity Hill, like every gravity phenomenon around the country, the Mooresville Gravity Hills sells a story of mystery in the macabre. Supposedly, a native witch doctor, doctor was buried in these parts, but his magical powers continued to emanate from the grave, manifesting themselves in the form of cars that appear to coast uphill when, when put in neutral. Take this tale for a spin and park your car in Mooresville. You won't stay still for long. 
before you leave the Hoosier State, don't forget to pay homage to a statue commemorating the cartoon hero of the 1940s and 50s, Joe Palooka. Starting as an earnest teen who confronted neighborhood toughs, Joe became a prize fighter, but gave up his shot at fame to enlist in the Army during World War II. Hoosier State fanciers commissioned the limestone statue, the limestone statue, and placed it in the town of Ulitik for no particular reason, <laughs> other than it has a really cool name. O O L I T I C. Ulitik. Maybe, oh, what do you mean, no particular reason? They're joking. That's a joke. It's because his name is Joe Paluka. I think they're I think they're being sarcastic here. But it's hard to tell in writing sometimes when people are being sarcastic. Cause his name has two O's, it's Paluka, and they put it in Ulatik. They know what they're doing. Alright. I need to I need to, <laughs> I need not be so gullible. Um I also thought that was um that was crazy. That was funny how those cars go uphill. But that's not as bad as like those cell phones that used to, what were those, like, Samsungs or something that were exploding? That's not as bad as those. I'd rather have a car that goes uphill once in neutral than a, than a Samsung that exploded. Or maybe it was Nokia. That's allegedly. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Let me say cell phones. Cell phones exploding. Was that a thing? Was that a thing? Is that which which one was it? Gosh, that's so. I don't even want to know anything about it. I don't know why I'm. I don't know why I'm interested in that. That's a terrifying, a terrifying thing. Um, maybe it's like a Ford Pinto or something. Those were the old cars that, if you rear-ended them. Oh yeah, the car that if you rear-ended it, it has engine in the back. So it would like blow up if it got rear-ended. I think that's a Ford Pinto. Um, now I'm trying to pull up Courtney Cox's IMDb. Here we go. Um, but as I'm doing that, let's see if there's anything else I need to address. Nope, I'm just going down right here to her, back where we were at Scream 4. Scream 4, 2011. Gail Weathers Riley. Wait, when did she become Gail Weathers Riley? Was that in Scream 3? No, yeah, Scream 3, she was just Gail Weathers. She must have got married in between. In the off-season. In the Scream off-season. Um, Alright, let's see. TV series, 2011. Private Practice. It plays woman for one episode. TV movie. Another TV movie. Tall, hot, blonde is called. That's all one word. And uh, she plays Amanda. A short from 2012. She play, She plays a celebrity in Got Rights. Uh, TV show 2013 called Go On. She plays Talia. Okay. Before we go any further with Courtney. Courtney in her credits. That sounds like a TV show right there. Courtney and her credits. Uh, let's read a little bit. 
of a book that we haven't visited this book in a long time. It's been it's been a quite a few episodes since we looked at this one. The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat in Other Clinical Tales by Oliver Sacks. Um yeah, this is a psychological book. So I used to be a psychology major. Um by switch. I switched a few times majors. I was considering I wanted to be a counselor for a little bit. I wanted to be yeah, I wanted to do psychology. That was mostly when I was at Western. When I went to Western Washington. I wanted to do psychology. But anywho, let's get back to let's read this. Um it's called The Man Who Fell Out of Bed. When I was a medical student many years ago, one of the nurses called me in considerable perplexity and gave me the singular story on the phone that they had a new patient, a young man who uh, just admitted that morning. He had seemed very nice, very normal all day, indeed until a few minutes before when he awoke from a snooze. He then seemed excited and strange, not himself in the least. He had somehow contrived to fall out of bed and was now sitting on the floor, carrying on and vociferating and refusing to go back to bed. Could I come, please, and sort out what was happening? When I arrived, I found the patient lying on the floor by his bed and staring at one leg. His expression contained anger, alarm, bewilderment, and amusement, bewilderment most of all, with a hint of consternation. I asked him if he would go back to bed or if he needed help, but he seemed upset by these suggestions and shook his head. I squatted down beside him and took the history on the floor. He had he had come in that morning for some tests, and he said he had no complaints, but the neurologist feel, feeling that he had a lazy left leg, that was the very word they had used, thought he should come in. He had felt fine all day and fallen asleep towards the evening. When he woke up, he felt fine too, until he moved in until he moved in the bed then he found as he put it someone's leg in the bed a severed human leg a horrible thing he was stunned at first with amazement and disgust he had never experienced never imagined such an incredible thing he felt the leg gingerly it seemed perfectly formed but peculiar and cold at this point he had a brainwave he now realized what had happened it was all a joke a rather monstrous and improper, but a very original joke. It was New Year's Eve and everyone was celebrating. Half the staff were drunk, quips and crackers with, were flying, a carnival scene. Obviously one of the nurses with a macabre sense of humor had stolen in, into the dissecting room and nabbed a leg and then slipped it under his bedclothes as a joke while he was, fat, while he was still fast asleep. He was much relieved at the explanation, but feeling that a joke was a joke, and that this one was a bit much, he threw the damn thing out of the bed. But, and at this point, his conversational manner deserted him, and he suddenly trembled and became ashen pale. When he threw it out of the bed, he somehow came after it, and now it was attached to him. Look at it, he cried, with revulsion on his face. Have you ever seen such a creepy, horrible thing? I thought a cadaver was just dead, but this is uncanny. And somehow... It's ghastly. It seems stuck to me. He seized it with both hands, with extraordinary violence, and tried to tear it off his body, and failing, punched it in an excess of rage. Easy, I said. Be calm. Take it easy. 
I wouldn't punch that leg like that. And why not, he asked, irritably, belligerently. Because it's your leg, I answered. Don't you know your own leg? He gazed at me with a look compounded of stupefaction, stupefaction, incredulity, incredulity, uh, terror and amusement, not mixed with a jocular sort of suspicion. Ah, dog, he said, you're fooling me. You're in cahoots with that nurse. You shouldn't kid patients like this. I'm not kidding, I said. That's your own leg. I saw from my face that I was perfectly serious. He saw it from my face. And a look of utter terror came over him. You saw it's my leg, dog. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that a man should know his own leg? Um, sorry, you say it's my leg, Doc. Wouldn't you say that a man should know his own leg? Absolutely, I answered. He should know his own leg. I can't imagine him not knowing his own leg. Maybe you're the one who's been kidding all along. I swear to God, cross my heart, I haven't. A man should know his own body, but what's what's his and what's not. But this leg, this thing... Another shudder of distaste. Doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel real. And doesn't look part of me. What does it look like? I asked in bewilderment. Being being by this time as bewildered as he was. What does it look like? He repeated my words slowly. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like nothing on earth. How can a thing like that belong to me? I don't know where a thing like that belongs. His voice trailed off. He looks terrified and shocked. Listen, I said, I don't think you're well. Please allow us to return you to bed. But I want you to ask, I want to ask you one final question. If this, this thing is not your left leg, he had called it a counterfeit at one point in our talk and expressed his amazement that someone had gone to such lengths to manufacture a facsimile. And where is your own left leg? Once more, he became pale, so pale that I thought he was going to faint. I don't know, he said. I have no idea. It's disappeared. It's gone. It's nowhere to be found. And postscript. Since since Slayer was published in A Leg to Stand On, 1984, I received a letter from the eminent neurologist Dr. Michael Creamer, who wrote, I was asked to see a puzzling patient on the cardiology ward. He had atrial fibrillation and had thrown off a large ambulus, giving him a left hemiplegia and I was asked to see him because he constantly fell out of bed at night for which the cardiologist could find no reason when I asked him what happened at night he said quite openly that when he woke in the night he always found that there was a dead cold hairy leg in bed with him which he could not understand but could not tolerate and he therefore with his good arm and leg pushed it out of the bed and naturally of course the rest of him followed he was such an excellent example of this complete loss of awareness of his hemiplegic limb, hemiplegic limb. But interestingly enough, I could not get him to tell me whether his own leg on that side was in bed with him because he was so caught up with the unpleasant foreign leg that was there. I could not get him to tell me whether his own leg on that side was in bed with him because he was so caught up with the unpleasant foreign leg that was there. Huh. <laughs> wow, that's a weird. It's a crazy story of uh, not recognizing your own leg and trying to push it out of bed. That sounds. That's so crazy. It sounds made up. 
I believe it though. It's so crazy that I just believe that it's real. That's how crazy it is. Um, wow. I wonder what causes. Do you say what causes that? I don't. <clears throat> now I have to go back to it. Wait, let me let me pull it up real quick again. He. I I don't understand how he. Yeah. I don't think he ever. Well, I mean, actually, this neurologist said he had an atrial fibrillation. Okay, so whatever that is. Um, there you go. There's your cause. Very good. That's crazy. Crazy story. Let's uh, let's get back to Courtney here. Here we go. Hold up. Let's see what the Yankees are doing. New York Yankees, twelve to four now. Wow, 12-4, bottom six. They're pulling away. Here we are. Where were we here? Uh, Go On. I think I just said Go On. Plays Talia, one episode. Cougar Town, her big show. Post Friends. Uh, She plays Jules Cobb. 102 episodes. 2009-2015. Man, I wonder... You know what I just thought of? I wonder if um, the Blade Runner, Oscar Pistorius, or if he ever had that that uh, leg imposter syndrome thing where he tries to shove his leg out of bed and ends up falling out of bed. That seems like the old uh, South African Blade Runner. Did he ever, did he end up going to jail for, um, like... He had a crazy story where he like shot his girlfriend, and they said um, he thought she was an intruder. Let's see, Oscar. Wait, let's see what happened to him. Yep, Oscar Pistorius. Um, convicted murderer of his girlfriend in twenty fourteen. Riva Steenkamp. Wait, what? So what happened? Let's see what. Um. Let's see what happened in early morning of Thursday, February 14th. Oh, it was on Valentine's Day, 2013. Pistorius shot and killed his girlfriend, South African model Reva Steenkamp, at their home, at his home in Pretoria. Pistorius acknowledged that he shot Steenkamp four times, causing her death, but he said that he mistook her for a possible intruder. Yep. But, um, what? He didn't notice it. He didn't notice it. it was his girlfriend after after the first three shots. He had to do that last shot, make sure he got her. Jeez. Um, and he was found guilty of culpable homicide, and one firearm related charge of reckless endangerment, related to discharging a firearm in a restaurant. In a restaurant. Um, let's see. Yeah, and then just says a bunch of stuff about the trial. Okay. But when's he going to... Prison term? Uh, He was recommended for early release as early as... Is he already out of jail? Case appeal. 
He was, oh wait, he was released from prison October 19th, 2015. What? <laughs> okay. Okay, so he barely, he wasn't in prison that long. Oh, second prison term. Uh. Oh, wow, okay. So, was treated at, went to hospital. He was treated... Wait, why? Wow. This is crazy. Okay. <laughs> Six-year jail sentence. Sorry for all this dead air. I'm trying to read about... I'm trying to read about Oscar Pistorius here. Um, sounds like he's still in jail. Let's just move on. For those of you who aren't interested in this at all, you're probably like, what are you talking about, Chris? Just move on. Move on. Back to Courtney Cox. Okay, we'll go back to Courtney Cox. Um, let's go. Where were we here? Cougar Town, of course. Let's read about what Cougar Town was. Follows this escapades and relationships of a group of neighbors living in Gulf Haven, Florida. 22-minute rom-com TV show. TBS, I believe. Yep, TBS. Very funny. Uh, after that, TV show from 2015, Barely Famous, plays herself for one episode, and another TV movie, 2016, Charity Case, plays Haley, uh, 2016, Mothers and Daughters, plays Beth, oh, Drunk History, we've talked about Drunk History, how much I love that show, it's one of my favorites, Edith Wilson, two episodes, 2014 to 16. That shows. I think it's still on TV. Yeah, they're still making new ones. It's been on since 2013. Love Drunk History. Uh, and her final credit. Wow, Courtney Cox hasn't done much, much at all in the past few years. She her final credit is 2018, one episode as Jen Wagner of Shameless. Which is, I've heard it was a really good show. I think it's on um, Showtime, yeah. A scrappy, fiercely loyal Chicago family makes no apologies. They just go around just shoving, shoving people and stuff, just taking their groceries. I imagine them just like walking around like the outside of a grocery store and just taking people's groceries for some reason. When they said that, I don't know why. <laughs> Um, let's see. Just some old lady, like some old lady, they just like take a loaf of bread and like some gallon of milk from her. I don't know. <laughs> that seems, seems like no apologies. They just walk away. All right. Let's do a top three, bottom three here for Courtney. Man, I can't believe how she hasn't been in anything lately. Wow. Wonder why. It must be her choice, so. Sure, she's been asked to be in stuff. Um, so top movies, let's just do. Oh, this will be fun. For the top movies, let's do. Um, is she in the first scream? Yeah, she is in the first scream. Let's do scream one, two, and three for her top three. We'll do scream one, scream two, and scream three. And then for bottom three, let's do. Um, 
Let's see. Bottom three. The Runner. Uh, the Shrink is in. And Get Well Soon. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Courtney Cox. Let's go, uh, Lisa Kudra. Pull up Phoebe here. While I'm pulling up Phoebe, I'll re read y'all some, uh, some of my favorite book based on my hometown. Wow, Phoebe has the most credits out of the three of them. I bet most people would not predict that. They'd be like, definitely think that Jennifer Anson had the most credits or something. I'm going to read y'all a little bit of uh, Night Hoops from Carl Duker. This book is based in my hometown, Bothell, Washington. And Carl Duker was a teacher at my elementary school. My brother had him in sixth grade. Um, I never had him. But, um, yeah, I've emailed him, and he's he emailed me back. I told him about my books. He said, I remember your mom and brother. Um, because my mom worked in the PTA a lot, always. So, uh, anywho, without further ado, this is chapter six of part three of Night Hoops, by Carl Duker. <clears throat> Benchwarmer, that's what I was for games three and four. I couldn't even kid myself that the guys needed me because we won both games, beating Redmond at home 64-50, then going on the road to stop the Lake Washington Kangaroos 56-44. Not that the victories meant much. They were the weakest teams in our league. No height, no speed, new coaches every year. Fabroa and Chang ran the plays just the way O'Leary wanted them to run. Nothing flashy, but nothing stupid. They didn't blow either team out of the gym. They methodically ground them up the way a butcher grinds up meat to make sausage. If we'd opened against the, these two loser teams, everything might have been different. With less pressure, my shots might have dropped, and I might have made the plays on defense. If I had, then, during those two games, O'Leary didn't call my number once. I could have ordered pizza and eaten on the bench, and he wouldn't have noticed. Zach was released from Juvenile Hall the day after we beat Lake Washington. December in the Northwest is cold, dark, and drizzly, but he made a point of sitting on his porch every afternoon and evening, stereo-blasting, Cigarette in hand, it was as, he, as if he were flipping off the whole world. The music didn't get turned down until Steve Clay got, came home, and then only after loud arguments that usually ended with Zach climbing into his mother's old Corolla and somehow making it sound like a Ferrari as he raced off into the night. Katya was around our house more than ever these days, supposedly because of the jazz band, but really because she and Scott were an established thing. Like the rest of us, she tried to ignore Zach, but one evening when she stayed for dinner, we heard him screaming in the street, and her frustration boiled over. I don't understand, she said. Why did they let him out? Michael saw him, he told the police, and nothing happens? My mother's voice was calm. We don't know that for sure. He might have to do community service, or maybe undergo counseling. We don't know what the court decided. But he's there, Katya cried, pointing towards the Dawson house. He's right there, and he's no different, and all those poor birds are dead. No one could say anything to that. Then, the night before Christmas vacation began, Steve Clay was at our door again. His face looked grayish, and the creases running by the sides of his mouth seemed deeper. I let him in, called Mom, and slipped into the kitchen to listen. 
You must be sick of seeing my face, he said softly as he sat, his back hunched. No, not at all, my mother answered. What can I do for you? Actually, I came over to say goodbye. Goodbye? He took a deep breath, sighed. It didn't work out with Erica and me. It's not Erica's fault, it's just... His voice trailed off. I'm sorry for you and Erica, and for the boys too. My mother said, you were good for them. It's the boys I want to talk to you about. He stopped for a moment. Listen, this is the last time we'll ever talk, so I'm going to lay it all out. I got nowhere with Zach. Nowhere at all. But Trent's different. There's a chance for him. I like to think he had some place to go at night other than out with Zach. So I was wondering. That basketball court is whenever is his whenever he wants to play, my mother said, anticipating his request. You tell him that. We've got a sofa downstairs to sleep on if he ever needs it. You tell him that, too. Steve Clay's spine straightened. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're a good woman. He pulled out his wallet and wrote down a phone number on a scratch of paper. I'm moving in with my brother. I won't be there for long, but if you ever need to get in touch with me, he'll know where I am. My mother took the little piece of paper. Steve Clay left, and my mother stood in front in the front room, looking at the door. Finally, she turned to me. You heard that, didn't you? Is that okay? I remembered how angry I'd felt when she first allowed Trent to use my basket, but now I couldn't remember exactly why. Sure, I said. It's okay by me. It's okay by Nick. It sounds like Nick and Trent are going to become friends. Friends to enemies of friends. Frank Grimes to um, Friends the TV show. Speaking of Friends the TV show, let's read a uh, let's read a few credits from Phoebe. Let's start a uh, number one here. Married to the Mob, TV movie, nineteen eighty nine. The Simpsons parodied that. They did an episode called Mayored to the Mob, which was a really funny episode actually. Let's see what Ma- let's see what Married to the Mob is. Uh, Mayored to the Mob, the Simpsons episode was about um, Mayor Quimby. I'm trying to think if we talked about that. I don't think we did. Um, that's a funny one. Actually, no, we did talk about that one, didn't we? Yeah, I, we did. We totally did talk about that one, I'm pretty sure. Yes, we did, because it, it was, um, Luke Mark Hamill was in it as well. Um, uh, yeah, it was the Detroit episode. It was Kristen Bell. Wow, I can't believe I remember that. That was episode 10, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. We talked about that because, uh, Mark Hamill played Nathan Detroit. In a Broadway play. And that was a Michigan episode. So that's why we talked about that. Um, wow, I can't believe I remember that. <laughs> that unnecessary. My brain's so good at remembering unnecessary information. Anywho. Let's read a little bit about Married to the Mob. What's this? Connie Brusso is married to the mob, but is not aware of it. Her husband, Tony, is a mobster. In his efforts to keep his family from discovering his shady business dealings is the focal point of the proposal. Other regulars are Nick, Tony's son, Marie, Connie's sister, Frank, Connie's father, and Tony's mama, Russell. So, shady business dealings. Shady business. Eh. Mayor to the mob. Eh. <laughs> That's my mob, my mob voice right there. 
I need to get some water, obviously. I need to stay hydrated. Rule number one. E. Want to join the mob? E. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, 1989. Another TV movie. Lots of TV movies. Just Temporary. She plays Nicole. Um, oh, this is something I wanted to mention to y'all. To the Milky Way of Starfishes. To, um, to y'all. It is uh, just a little anecdote. I've talked about growing up playing football. But when we used to play football, we used to love going to the high school games. So this was when I was in like elementary school and junior high. And we used to just wear our jerseys, go to the high school game at the old Popkini before they uh, remodeled it and added the uh, away stands and made it look like a Division three college football stadium. Um, we used to just walk around the back area, kind of behind the scoreboard. Actually, I guess it was right in front of the scoreboard, I should say. Or, I'm trying to think. Maybe... No, it was, it was behind the scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, it was right behind the scoreboard, behind the fence, right behind the end zone. And everyone used to just, like, walk around, hang out during the game. We used to wear our jerseys, our football jerseys, and just not watch any of the game, really. Not not care about it, not pay any attention to it. Just walk around. <laughs> and I remember we used to always, like, ask this was kind of this kind of like embarrassing to look back on. It's so funny. We would ask like older girls for hugs, <laughs> and then I think we would like compete with each other to see how many hugs we could get. Like see who could get the most hugs, and then I don't know what that person would win. Maybe just like bragging rights for the next few days until until we played like Madden or someone or something. Someone won won in a video game, and then. Breaking rights shifted to that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's like the ridiculous stuff we used to do during Bothell football games. But that was like always a big event, though. I remember looking forward to Friday nights just every week in the fall. Back in the day growing up. Because that was like the event of the week. The Bothell home games. It's such a big deal. But, I mean, <laughs> then we really wouldn't watch any of it. Because, I mean... If we're gonna be honest, we would Bothell would usually crush everybody. I mean, we were pretty we were pretty good back in the day, so it's always been a good football program, but yeah, that's that's one give a little shout out to that. Um, just so many good memories just walking around at those Bothell games. Maybe like getting a, getting a candy bar or getting like a hot dog or something. Like I remember like Walking up into the stands to like, get money from my parents, you <laughs> know, like those good old days. So much, so much fun. Good memories at uh, the old Popkini. We used to practice out in the grass, um, where there's that's where the park parking lot is now. Uh, there used to be a baseball field where there's a parking lot now. So it's crazy. I played at that baseball field that uh, used to be there right by Popkini. Um, that's where I ran into, um, our team, our baseball team ran into the piggyback bandit. Okay. I have pulled this name up. So this guy, I think it was the ringer. 
um, that wrote an article about him. Bill Simmons's new website. Yes, here it is. This guy has like a Wikipedia page. Uh, his name is Sherwin Shyagan. And um, he's known as the Piggyback Bandit. And he, so what he did, so he, they wrote about him in uh, Grantland. Yeah. I read, uh, we read um, 12 parts of Grantland, all 12 of those books. So they may have been in one of these books, actually. Their story about the Piggyback Bandit. So um, let's see. Let's just um click on this USA Today, this USA Today article. He was all the way, so he travels all the way around the country doing it. But um, he was in Bothell. He was in Bothell at Popkini, and he jumped on uh, Brendan Peterson's back. I've talked about Brendan Peterson. His uh, we read his mom's recipe. His mom Linnell. Um, I talked about him. He played football for UPS. Or, yeah, UPS. I believe. No, PLU. Brandon went to PLU. Um, but, yeah. It's crazy. He just, it, like, literally, I remember what he did was just, like, jumped on Brandon's back. But Brandon's, like, 6'4", like, 270 or something. Like, Brandon's, like, a huge dude. Like, he's like the Mikey from Recess. Um, he's the Mikey of our of our friend group. So, so I mean, he, he obviously just, like, shrugged him off. Because this guy wasn't, like, a huge guy. But he was definitely, like, what's the word? Like, he was, um, he, he went after it. He was a persistent. That was the word. He's persistent. But, yeah, he traveled all the way around the country just doing this. <laughs> um, doing the same stuff. Jumping on, piggybacking, piggybacking, uh, he got arrested, he's been arrested, like, a couple times, I think, um, accused, just lots of news articles, if you Google, 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 uh, piggyback bandit, so many, so much stuff, um, yeah, but yeah, I, that's so crazy though that I have like a first, I have a first-hand account of it, and I I didn't we didn't really think too much of it because I don't know if he was like watching our game or if he just came up when it ended, but I, I think oh my gosh now that I remember, I'm pretty sure he was wearing a baseball uniform. He may he may have even been wearing like one of our uniforms. I mean I don't know how he would have gotten it, but. That may have been the case. And, yeah. I think he just, like, ran off. Like, after after he jumped on Bren's back. Like, we didn't make a big deal about it. Like, nobody stopped him. Nobody, um... We didn't call, like, the authorities or anything. Nobody called 911. He just ran off. Probably over to QFC. Across the street. Um, let's see. Back to Phoebe. So, Just Temporary, TV movie. Uh, 1989, plays Nicole. Um, TV series, 1989, Cheers, plays Emily, one episode. L.A. on $5 a day, 1989, plays Charmer. That's such an interesting name for a... Oh, and there's no plot description. So, if someone knows what 
LA on $5 a day. Sounds like a Subway. Sounds like Subway made that movie. LA on a $5 foot long a day. Um, Close Encounters TV movie 1990. She plays Valley Girl. Excuse me. Um, oh yes, I can cross this out on my trusty yellow legal pad. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Valley Girl. TV series 1990, Newhart plays Sada, one episode. TV show 1990. All these Friends ladies actors are in a bunch of other TV shows other than Friends. Um... Another one, 1990, Life Goes On. She plays Stella. Stella! Stella! That's such a funny um, Martin family when they're making fun of the... What is that, like a Broadway play or something? Stella? But Cam, Cam yells Stella because that's like the name of the dog. Oh, Cam. Mitch and Cam. Hilarious. Um, Cam is just yelling. He's like, Stella! Martin Family, check it. Check it out. <laughs> Add to your Netflix queue. Uh, TV show, 1990. Life Stories, one episode. No character name. 1991, The Unborn. She plays Louisa Kralm. Another TV movie, 1991. Murder in High Places. I got friends in... All places. That's just what that made me think. I got friends in all places. Where the whiskey's trying to bear faces. I got friends in all places. Was that? Is that Garth Brooks? Um, his his real name is a uh, Troil. Troil. Uh, I just want to let you know. Just the, thought that was cool. So, Murder in High Places, To the Moon, Alice is a short from 1991. She's a friend of Perky Girl. Huh. 1992, um, In the Heat of Passion, she plays Bank Teller. Um, 1992 TV series, Room for Two. Woman in Black, one episode. 92, Dance with Death. Uh, a movie. She plays Millie. I like the name Millie. M-I-L-L-I-E. I wonder if that's short for... Is that short for something? I gotta check now. The Yankees are crushing it. Uh, 14 to 4. Bottom 7th. Is Millie short? Is it like Millicent? I think it's like Maleficent. Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Brown. Um, Millie could be short for Amelie or Emilia. Okay, that makes sense. I don't really. Okay. What about Millicent? Who's Millie? Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is an actress. Oh, she's... Millie Bobby Brown is the name of... um. The main character of Eleven from Stranger Things. Okay. I was like, who is Millie Bobby... Br- 
Stranger Things. Of course. She's the main character. All right. Um, where were we? Uh, 1993 TV series. Flying Blind. Plays Amy. See? So many TV series here. Uh, 93 TV series. Play, uh, plays Kathy Fleischer. Fleischer. Three episodes. And Bob. Let's see what Bob, Bob was about. It looks like there's like an action hero next to him. A cartoonist deals with corporate drama that ensues after the revival of a superhero he created. Yeah, so it's a superhero next to him. Who's Bob? Bob Newhart. Oh, okay. I've heard, I've heard of that guy, of course. It's not loading on him, though. That's okay. We'll just keep it. We'll keep it moving. Bob is a Bob Newhart show. Then, Coach. Coach, Craig T. Nelson. 1993-1994. Lauren Nurse Alice. Two episodes. What was Coach about? It was Hayden Fox is the head coach of a university football team and eats, sleeps, and lives football. His partner, however, does not share his passion for the sport, which frequently causes friction in their relationship while Hayden often fits the stereotype of dumb jock uh, as to his co-workers Luther and Dauber he sincerely cares about his friends and family and tries his best to make things work out he sounds like a good guy he really cares uh, in the heat of passion too uh, unfaithful she plays Teller I wonder if there's a pen in that movie. Um, 1994. That was 94. Uh, and also 94, The Crazy Sitter. Adrian Wexler Jones. Let's see what The Crazy Sitter was. 92 Minutes, PG-13. Comedy, crime, drama. When a petty criminal escapes from jail, she, she lays low. By posing as a babysitter for two seemingly precious children. But when she decides to sell them for a quick profit. Wait, she sells the kids? What? What's this? Child trafficking? <laughs> this is crazy. Um, but, uh, for a quick profit, she gets more than she bargained for. A wildly clever family comedy in tradition of Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. This is just a ridiculous plot for a movie. Beverly D'Angelo. Uh, she sells. That's terrible. That's terrible. What, like, is this before Craigslist? I wonder how, before eBay. I wonder what she did. Just went to the grocery store. Just like, like, like selling them like Girl Scout cookies. Just outside the grocery store. It's terrible. Not even, not even funny. It's not even a joking matter. Uh, 1995, video short. <laughs> it's not even funny. Um, the Rembrandts, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. Phoebe Buffay. Uh, Hope and Gloria is a TV series from 1996. She plays Phoebe Buffay. Wait, what? She plays Phoebe in something that's not friends so these tv universes overlap i guess um 
just like I was talking about how the movie universes were overlapping. That was last episode. Hope is a producer of a local TV show whose cheating husband left her after 10 years. Gloria is a streetwise single mother who works as a hairdresser. The two, with Gloria's son Buddy, share the ups and downs of their complicated but humorous lives. Buddy. Uh, Buddy the Elf. Okay. Duckman, Private Dick, Family Man. TV series 1996. Female Beta Maxians. One episode. It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. Uh, 1996 Mother. Let's see what this is. She plays Linda. A neurotic, twice-divorced sci-fi writer moves back in with his mother to solve his personal problems. That sounds funny. Albert Brooks. Um, Debbie Reynolds. Oh, that's a... I think she just passed away. Isn't Debbie Reynolds Carrie Fisher's mom? I believe so. Uh, Don't quote me. Don't quote me on it. 1997, another TV show, Dr. Katz's Professional Therapist, plays Lisa for one episode, uh, 97, movie, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, Michelle Weinberger, 1997, The Opposite of Sex, Lucia Delury, uh, 1997, Clock Watchers, Plays Paula. Let's see what Clock Watchers is. Nine, 96 minutes. Dromcom. PG-13. The relationship between four female temps all working for the same credit company is threatened with the arrival of a new hire who lands a permanent position of one uh, when the woman was fine for. Okay. So it's a movie about temps. Um, hmm. Uh, 1997, Hacks. She plays Reading Woman. Hacks. Oh, 1998. She was in The Simpsons. I wonder which episode she was in. She plays Alex Whitney. Doesn't say which episode, though, so that's okay. But just, it's from the golden era, though, The Simpsons. Was that, like, season nine? Thereabouts. Okay, we could have chosen that one. Uh, TV show, 1998-99, she plays Aphrodite, I can't remember which, which one was Aphrodite, and that's in uh, Hercules, let's see which one Aphrodite was, I remember Athena, obviously because that was the name of my doggy, um, Aphrodite was the goddess, the Greek goddess of love, Beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. Okay. So he's the the lover, the Cupid one, the Valentine's Day one, the Hallmark one. Uh, Athena. Athena was goddess of many things. Um, she's very important goddess of many things. So she's pretty legit. Uh, Athena, goddess of wisdom. Courage, inspiration, civilization, law, and justice. Um, law and justice, strategic warfare, mathematics, strength, strategy, the arts, crafts, and skill. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, they weren't kidding. Many things. They're pretty much saying Athena rules. Everybody knows that. Um, let's see. 1999. Analyze this. Laura McNamara Sobel. This was... This was the one with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. When Billy Crystal wasn't busy hosting the Oscars, he was busy starring in movies with Lisa Kudrow. This is... 103 minutes comedy crime rated R. R. Comedy about a psychiatrist whose number one patient is an insecure mob boss. You talking to me? You talking to me? Um. <laughs> okay. Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal. Uh, mad about you. Another TV series. See, see what I'm saying about all these TV series. Wait, what? Wait, this is tripping me out right here. Ursula Buffay. She plays Ursula Buffay in Mad About You for 24 episodes, 1992 to 99. So that's Phoebe's twin sister. Isn't that the name of Phoebe's twin sister? So they're saying that the Mad About You. Universe crosses over with the uh, Friends universe. Wow, I like it. Very cool. Uh, it's a rom com. It's twenty two minutes. Um, I, wow, I can't believe that. So, Phoebe's character is based off. Wait, now I gotta look up Ursula Buffet. So, like, there must have been a lot of the same writers. For Mad About You that came over and wrote uh, for Friends. I would think so. Let's see. Was she also in Mad About You? Or did she just happen to have the same name? Ursula Buffet. Mad. Mad About You. Um, Lisa Kudrow says Phoebe was a twin to cover... To cover Mad About You role. So, yeah. So she's saying that Phoebe was a twin to... So one twin was on Friends and the other twin was on Mad About You. Makes sense. Just a successful pair of acting sisters, of acting twins. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. What was Mad About You about? Let's see. I definitely heard of this one. Popular 90s sitcom. Paul Reiser. Helen Hunt. 22 Minutes. Rom-com. Paul and Jamie Buchman are a recently married New York City couple. They point out the gentle humor and domesticity in life's everyday situations. Okay. And that show is always on... Replays of that show are always on TV. Um, what channel? It's always on like IFC. It's one of those IFC shows or FXX. It's on like the weird channels. Let's read a little bit more of Carl Duker's book of Night Hoops. I got Night Hoops fever. And the only cure is more Night Hoops. Uh, this is chapter 7. Part 3. We were entered into a... Th- Three-day Christmas tournament in Victoria, British Columbia, beginning December 28th. 
the games had popped right out uh, had popped right out at me the first time I seen the schedule. Riding the Victoria Clipper with the guys, staying in a hotel, seeing R-rated movies at night, the whole thing seemed great, almost like being a college player. From from the start, Mom hadn't been crazy about the trip. She considered coming along as a chaperone because she didn't trust O'Leary. I heard he's a drinker, she said one night at dinner. But Scott's band, jazz band was headed to Monterey, California over Christmas for the music festival, and she wanted to go with him. For a long time, she stewed about it. Then, over Thanksgiving, Dad solved the problem. I'll go up with Nick and keep an eye on him, he told her. To me, he said, don't worry, I'll stay out of your hair. You hang out with your buddies, not your old man. School was out for the holidays, and there were no games until after Christmas. But that didn't mean time off. It was practice, 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 twice a day. O'Leary called it our readjustment time. We can make a run at the league title, he said. But these practices are crucial. This is not playtime. I wanted to use those practices to push Chang from his spot on the second team and maybe make Fabroa nervous about his spot in the first team. I was going to show O'Leary that what he'd seen was a slump and that it was over. But it didn't work out that way. At every practice, something went wrong right away. I'd miss my first shot or double dribble or make a pass, a bad pass. The harder I tried, the worse I did. If guys were open, I'd double clutch on my passes, then either chuck them out of bounds or get them picked off. It was like a rock slide that once I saw um, that I once saw up in the Cascade Mountains. First one rock came tumbling down, then another. Pretty soon it seemed as if the whole mountain was caving in. I hit bottom at our last practice before the trip. On a three-on-three fast break, I made a spin move in the key, then tried to swoop in a running lay-in. The ball somehow slipped out of my hands, bounced off my forehead, and now bounds. I must have looked like a total fool. O'Leary's eyes went to the roof. He crossed himself. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, he bellowed. Help me in my time of need. All the guys roared with laughter, and I managed to smile, but the lump in my throat was so big I could hardly speak. That happened on December 24th. O'Leary phoned that night. He started out by wishing me a Merry Christmas and asking me about my family and all that. But something was up. Finally, there was a long pause. About the trip to Victoria. What about it, I asked. He coughed. You know how tight things are with school budgets and all. Well, it turns out that they raised the prices on the Victoria Clipper. Instead of having money for 15, we've only got money for 12. That means 10, 10 players and me and Mr. Fabura, who's going to help chaperone. You see what I'm saying? I understand, I mumbled. There was a long pause. Look, Nick, I know you're disappointed, but you're a sophomore. The team makes a trip every year over Christmas. You'll get your chance. Once he hung up, Mom asked who I'd been talking to. I lied, telling her it was Luke. I haven't seen much of him lately, she said. Is he coming over? No, I said. He's got family things. Christmas morning, Scott and I opened our gifts early. Clothes, CDs, the usual stuff. Without Dad there, it felt all wrong. Around noon, he did stop by. Still, it wasn't like a real Christmas. He sat on the sofa in his normal spot, only he never kicked off his shoes, never even leaned back into the cushions. He didn't look any more comfortable than the insurance agent who'd come by to update my mother's pol policies. After about an hour, he stood to leave. I followed him outside. I got some bad news yesterday, I said. Immediately, his eyes registered worry. It's about basketball. What happened? 
I blurted it out. They just don't have enough money to bring everybody on the team to Victoria, so I'm not going. His eyes flared in anger. Tell O'Leary I'll pay the fare, if that's all it is. I winced. That's nice of you and everything, but I wouldn't want to go like that. You see what I mean? He thought for a minute. Yeah, I see what you mean. He paused. Are you telling me everything, Nick? You're not feuding with the coach or anything? Because if... No, Dad, I interrupted. It's nothing like that. I'm just not playing well. I'm trying, but nothing is going right. Well, all you can do is try. There was no anger in his voice, no disappointment even. It was as if he'd given up on me. He pulled his keys out of his pocket. I should be going now. Merry Christmas, Nick. Dang. Super sad there. What? He was he's set on going to the Victoria Clipper. I think that's like a famous boat. I'm just like degrading it. It's a famous boat. Um, speaking of boat, I'm still looking to start that uh breakfast on a boat business. So come up with a name for it. Maybe like maybe like yachts of eggs. I like that. Yachts of eggs. Victoria Clipper. <laughs> yeah. Um maybe what is a Victoria Clipper? Clipper navigation. Clipper Navigation is a subsidiary of Ford Redery Satorsk. Wait, what? It's a oh, it's a German, which is a German uh, transportation company that specializes in ferries and freights. Okay, I see. But Clipper Navigation, based in Seattle, provides multiple transportation and vacation packages. Um. Wow. including hotel and tour packages in Victoria, Seattle, Vancouver, Friday Harbor, Portland, Whistler, British Columbia, the Canadian Rockies. The Canadian Rockies. That sounds like sounds like a bowling team. And uh, Kelowna. Oh, Whistler's so cool. I love Whistler. Went there, went there with my family back in like 2004, maybe 2005. We stayed at like a, I think it was like a cabin. Awesome. Even though I'm not much of a, not really a snowboarder or skier. I just love, I love staying in a cabin. Like I've said, to get all like cozy next to the fire, like tons of snow outside. Just curl up, watch some movies, drink some hot cocoa, eat some, some toast. Toast is a nice cozy food. Um, maybe some tomato soup. Ooh, grilled cheese. Do a grilled cheese with Gouda. Gouda and a Gorgonzola. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Very good. I'm painting the picture here. You got, you got a moose, a giant moose head, like right over the fire. Lorraine Newsom's there. Lorraine Newsom is there with the mooses. Um... (laughs) You're just playing. You're playing the game of game of Scrabble against Lorraine Newsom. Lorraine Newsom and the Mooses present. All right, enough of that. <laughs> let's keep it moving here. Um, let's just keep going. So 2000, back to Lisa Kudrow, 
this is going to be a short episode, I can tell already. So apologies for the short episode. Uh, we'll try to keep pushing. We'll try to make it longer. We'll stretch it longer for you. <laughs> uh, all the producers over here. Over here in the Stars Born HQ. Yeah, they're giving me hand signals right now. They're trying to tell me trying to tell me what to do. Um, oh, wow. There's actually some clouds out there now. The icy blue sky is being overtaken by a scattering of clouds. Just to let y'all know what's going on over here in beautiful Pullman, Washington. Um, hope it's nice wherever y'all are at. Let's see. 2000 hanging up. Maddie Moselle. Lucky Numbers 2000. She plays Crystal. What is Lucky Numbers? It sounds like a prequel to The House. That, that new Will Ferrell movie, The House. A television weatherman scams a local lottery. What? John Travolta. That that sounds funny. I like it. It's a heist movie. Falls into one of my favorite movie genres. Um, along with comedy, horror, heist, reunion. And um, still trying to decide if boardwalk. The judges are voting. They're still in a... The jury is still deadlocked over it, so trying to decide if Boardwalk qualifies as a movie genre, but if it does, it's one of my favorites. But Lucky Numbers is both comedy and heist, so I like it. Sounds like an interesting movie. Uh, 2001, oh, King of the Hill. We see that one a lot. Amy Pittman, one episode. 2001... All Over the Guy plays Marie for one ep- not one episode, it's a movie. Uh, it's a rom-com. 95 minutes. Rated R. It's about the quest to find ones to find the one when the one doesn't know he's the one. It explores the unlikely pairing of two 20-somethings thrown together by their respective best friends in hopes of igniting their own romance. They can do everything they can to not fall in love, but finally, they overcome the dysfunction of their parents and surrender to their hearts. So, it's one of those, um, what, it's, a, it's not like a friends with benefits thing, it's like a, it's like a meet cute, it's one of those meet cutes, one of those, um, they were set up, I'm trying to think of uh, the word for it. It was a setup by friends. It's a friend setup. Uh, two thousand one, Doctor Doolittle two. Deuce. Uh, she plays Ava, the voice of Ava. Two thousand one, Blues Clues, the Baby Doctor, for one episode. Two thousand two, Bark. She plays Daria and or Darla. Bark! Exclamation point. It's a. Dromcom, uh, Raid R, 94 minutes. A comedy about mis- about uh, misfits in which a veterinarian becomes involved with a client whose wife has begun acting like a dog. Wow. I bet that's in um, Dr. Oliver Sacks' book. There's probably something like that. That's crazy. Darla is the vet while Peter is a frazzled husband whose marriage is going to the going to the dogs I wonder if he like 
takes her for walks and stuff. <laughs> he's like picks up. Oh my gosh, that's just disgusting. He goes to the dog park. She's, she's just like, what? They're like, what if they're at the dog park and she's just drinking coffee? She's walking around all fours, but then drinking coffee. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. Acting, man, that movie sounds really interesting. That sounds like such a, that's like a mumblecore movie. That sounds like a Duplass Brothers movie right there. Wow. It's crazy. Uh, 2002. <laughs> Analyze that. The sequel to Analyze This. Laura Sobu. Uh, 2003, Marcy X. She plays Marcy Feld. 2003, Wonderland. She plays Sharon Holmes. 94 to 04, Friends. Phoebe Buffay, Ursula Buffay. 236 episodes. I want to see what Marcy X was. A Jewish American princess is forced to take control of a hardcore hip hop record label and tries to reign reign one of the label's most controversial rappers. Uh, wow. Damon Wayne's Damon Wayne's uh not junior, Damon Wayne's senior. And it's it's before Damon Wayne's junior time. Um, let's see. 2003's Wonderland. Let's see what Wonderland was. In the police investigation of a brutal crime scene, one man was at the center of it all. Legendary porn star John Holmes. It's a movie about a porn star. Um, Val Kilmore. Val Kilmore plays John Holmes. Iceman himself. Kate Bosworth is in it too. Carrie Fisher's in it. Uh, it's a crime, drama, mystery, 104 minutes, radar. Arr, okay. Excuse me, 2005. Happy Endings. She plays Mamie. Uh, a video short from 2005. Friends Gag Reel. Season 9. Phoebe Buffet. TV show 2004-05, Father of the Pride. Excuse me. It's those uh, sausage biscuits I just ate. I ate those fast. I don't know why I was in such a hurry earlier. Um, Father of the Pride. It's a cartoon. It's a lion. It's a lion pun. She plays Fu Lin for two episodes. Yeah, so many TV shows. TV show, 05, Hopeless Pictures, uh, another cartoon. She plays Sandy for two episodes. Uh, 06 TV show, American Dad, exclamation point. The Ghosts of Christmas Past. What's this one? 07, Kablooey. She plays Leslie. Kablooey. That's a fun name for a movie. 86 Man's Comedy. Inept Salmon comes to help his sister-in-law tend to his holy terror nephews while Salmon's brother is off fighting in Iraq. Salmon must take a humiliating job as a giant blue corporate mascot in order to help make ends meet and hold the family together. 
that's what that thing is. I was trying to figure out what this blue thing was standing here, but can't figure out if it was like it's supposed to be like an alien or like a cartoon or something, or it's a giant mascot. Wonder what corporation that's mascot for. Maybe like Walmart. Walmart might have a giant blue mascot. It's just like a faceless thing. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I guess they have the the smiley face mascot. This like knocks down the prices. Um, let's see. Oh seven, P.S. I love you. She plays Denise. Oh nine, Hotel for Dogs plays Lois Sh- Scooter. Scudder. Um, I think now let's read a little bit of the Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. Been enjoying reading this about a. Uh, the Chinese philosophy of Taoism through this uh, Winnie the Pooh tale by Benjamin Hoff. This really brings back the memories. Here we go. This is Coddleson Pie. Remember when Kanga and Rue came to the forest? Immediately, Rabbit decided that he didn't like them because they were different. Then he began thinking of a way to make them leave. Fortunately for everyone, the plan failed, as clever plans do. Sooner or later. Cleverness, after all, has its limitations. Its mechanical judgments and clever remarks tend to prove inaccurate with passing time because it doesn't look very deeply into things to begin with. As in Rabbit's case, it has to change its opinions later on because of what it didn't see when it was forming them. The thing that makes someone truly different, unique in fact, is something that cleverness cannot really understand. We will refer to that special something here as in as inner nature since it's pretty much beyond the power of the intellect to measure or understand we will have Pooh explain it to us which he will do by the way of the Calston Pie Principle Calston Pie Principle er <clears throat> um, excuse me a moment yes Pooh me explain it Pooh said uh, behind his paw well yes I thought that might be nice why don't you explain it? asked Pooh. Well, I thought it might be better if you did, somehow. I don't think that's such a good idea, said Pooh. Why not? Because when I explain things, they get in the wrong places, he said. That's why. All right, I'll explain it. But you can help out every now and then. How's that sound? Much more like it, said Pooh. Let's see. The Colson Pie principle is based upon the song Colson Pie, which Pooh sang in Winnie the Pooh. Hmm. Say, Pooh, maybe you'd better sing it again in case anyone's forgotten. Certainly, said Pooh. Now let me see. Ahem. Callson, Callson, Callson Pie. A fly can't bird, but a bird can fly. Ask me a riddle and I reply. Callson, Callson, Callson Pie. Callson, Callson, Callson Pie. A fish can't whistle and neither can I. Ask me a riddle and I reply. Callson, Callson, Callson Pie. Callson, Callson, Callson Pie. Why does a chicken? I don't know why. Ask me a riddle and I reply. Colston, Colston, Colston Pie. Now let's start with Ow. Oh yes. That was very nice, Pooh. Don't mention it. Let's start with the first part. A fly can't bird, but a bird can fly. Very simple. It's obvious, isn't it? And yet you'd be surprised how many people violate the simple principle every day of their lives and try to fit square pegs into round holes, ignoring the clear reality that things are as they are.
We will see us. We will let a selection from the writings of Chung Si illustrate. Uh, Hui Si said to Chung Si, "I have a large tree, which no carpenter can cut into lumber. Its branches and trunk are crooked and tough, covered with bumps and depressions. No builder would turn his head to look at it. Your teachings are the same, useless without value. Therefore, no one pays attention to them." As you know, Chung Si replied, "A cat is very skilled at capturing its prey." Crouching low, it can leap in any direction, pursuing whatever it is after. But when its attention is focused on such things, it can easily be caught with a net. On the other hand, a huge yak, uh, a yak is not easily caught or overcome. It stands like a stone or a cloud in the sky. For all its strength, it cannot catch a mouse. Um, you complain that your tree is not valuable as lumber, but you can make. Use of the shade it provides, rests under its sheltering branches, and stroll beneath it, admiring its character and appearance. Since it would not be endangered by an axe, why could, what could threaten its existence? It is useless to you, only because you want to make it into something else and do not use it in its proper way. In other words, everything has its own place and function. That applies to people, although many don't seem to realize it. Stuck as they are in the wrong job, the wrong marriage, or the wrong house, when you know and respect your own inner nature, you know where you belong. You also know where you don't belong. One man's food is another man's po- poison, and what is gl- glamorous and exciting to some can be a dangerous trap to others. An incident in the life of Chung Si can serve as an example. While sitting on the banks of the Pu River, Chung Si was approached by two representatives of the prince. Of Chu, who offered him a position at court, Chung Si watched watched the river flowing by,、um, as if he had not heard. Finally, he remarked, "I am told that the prince had a sacred tortoise over two thousand years old, which is kept in a box wrapped in silk and brocade." That is true, the official replied. If the tortoise had been given a chance, Chung Si continued. Which do you think he would have liked better, to have been alive in the mud or dead within the palace? To have been alive in the mud, of course. The man answered. I too prefer the mud," said Chung Si. "Goodbye." "I like mud too," said Pu. "Yes, well, anyway, on a hot summer day, nothing like it," he said. "But the point is, it keeps you cool," he said. "That's not important here, Pu." "A Pu," I said. It's not," he asked in, some, in a shocked sort of way. "I mean, there are other things to be. How do you know?" said Pooh. "Have you ever tried it?" "No, but just the thing for a hot summer day." He continued, leaning back and closing his eyes, down by the river, covered with mud. "Look, Pooh, mud's nice," said Piglet, walking over to the writing table and looking up at us. "It adds color to your skin." "Can't say I ever cared for it," said Owl. Flying over and perching on the lamp, it sticks in one's feathers. Rather disagreeable. You see, I said, everyone's different. That's what we were discussing. I thought we were talking about mud," said Piglet. "So did I," said Pooh. "Well, I must get back to my encyclopedia," said Owl. "And now, if we can, let's go on to the second part. A fish can't whistle, and neither can I. Coming from a wise mind, 
Such a statement could would mean, I have certain limitations and I know what they are. Such a mind would act accordingly. There's nothing wrong with not being able to, whis to whistle, especially if you're a fish. But there can be lots of things wrong with blindly trying to do what you aren't designed for. Fish don't live in trees, and birds don't spend much time underwater if they can't help it. Unfortunately for some uh, some people, who always seem to think they're smarter than fish and birds somehow, aren't so wise, and end up causing big trouble for themselves and others. That doesn't mean that we need to stop changing and improving. It just means that we need to recognize what's there. If you face the fact that you have weak muscles, say, then you can do the right things and eventually become strong. But if you ignore what's there and try to lift someone's car out of a ditch, what sort of condition will you be in after a while? And even if you have more muscle than anyone alive, you still can't push over a freight train. The wise will uh, know their limitations. The foolish do not. To demonstrate what we mean, we can think of no one better than Tigger, who doesn't know his limitations. Oh, excuse me. He says he does now. Well, let's recall how he was forced to recognize one of them anyway. Rue and Tigger were walking through the forest one morning, and Tigger was talking about all the things that Tiggers can do. Can they fly? asked Rue. Yes, said Tigger. They're good, very good flyers. Tiggers are stormy good flyers. Ooh, said Rue. Can they fly as well as Owl? Yes, said Tigger. Only they don't want to. Well, after this sort of talk had gone on for a while, they arrived at the six pine trees. I can swim, said Rue. I fell into the river and I swimmed. Can Tiggers swim? Of course they can. Tiggers can do everything. Can they climb trees better than Pooh? asked Rue. Stopping under the tallest pine tree and looking up at it. Climbing trees is what they do best, said Tigger. Much better than Pooh's. And the next thing they knew, they were stuck in the tallest pine tree. Well, well, not so good. But then Pooh and Piglet came along. And of course Pooh realized right away just what was happening. Well, not right away. It's a jaguar, he said. What do jaguars do? Asked Piglet, hoping that they wouldn't. They hide in the branches of trees and drop on you as you go underneath, said Pooh. Christopher Robin told me. Perhaps we had we better hadn't go underneath, Pooh, in case he dropped and hurt himself. They don't hurt themselves, said Pooh. They're such very good droppers. Piglet still felt that to be underneath a very good dropper would be a mistake, and he was just going to hurry back for something which he had forgotten when the jaguar called out to them. Help, help, it called. That's what jagglers always do, said Pooh. Much interested, they call, help, help. And then when you look up, they drop on you. But eventually, Christopher, Robin, and Eeyore came along, and a rescue net was formed. Then Rue jumped and was saved, and Tigger jumped, sort of, and was saved, sort of. There was a crash and a tearing noise, and a confused heap of everybody on the ground. Christopher, Robin, and Pooh and Piglet picked themselves up first. And then they picked up Tigger, um, and every and underneath everybody was Eeyore. Quite a bit of trouble you put everyone through, wasn't it, Tigger? I learned from the experience, though, he said a bit evasively. Oh, did you? Of course. You won't find me doing anything like that again, he said in a confident sort of way. That's good, I said. On your way to somewhere, are you? Yes, he said. Rue and I are going swimming. Oh, well, don't forget to take a rope. A rope? Why a rope? said Tigger. 
Oh, just in case you see somebody fall in, I said. Now, why didn't I think of that, said Tigger. A saying from the area of Chinese medicine would be appropriate to mention here. One disease, one disease, long life. No disease, short life. In other words, those who know what's wrong with them and take care of themselves accordingly will tend to live a, a lot longer than those who consider themselves perfectly healthy and neglect their weaknesses. So in that sense, a weakness of some sort can do you a big favor if you acknowledge that it's there. The same goes for one's limitations, whether Tiggers know it or not. And Tiggers usually don't. That's the pr trouble with Tiggers, you know. They can do everything. Very unhealthy. Once you face and understand your limitations, you can work with them instead of having them work against you and get in your way, which is what they do when you ignore them, whether you realize it or not. And then you will find that in many cases, your limitations can be your strengths. For example, when Owl's house fell down, who was able to escape, uh, even though there was a heavy branch across the door, and the only way out was through the lair slot? Piglet, the very small animal. Now, the last part of the principle. Why does a chicken... I don't know. I don't know why. Why does a chicken do what it does? You don't know? Neither do we. Neither does anyone else. Science likes to strut around and act smart by putting its labels on everything. But if you look at them closely, you'll see that they don't really say much. Genes? DNA? Just scratching the surface. Instinct? You know what that means. Curious. Why do birds fly south for the winter? Science. Instinct. It means we don't know. The important thing is we don't really need to know. We don't need to imitate nearsighted science, which peers at the world through an electron microscope, looking for answers it will never find and coming up with more questions instead. We don't need to play abstract philosopher, asking unnecessary questions and coming up with meaningless answers. What we need to do is recognize inner nature and work with things as they are. When we don't, we get into trouble. Pooh and Piglet found this out when they tried to catch a heffalump, not really knowing what heffalumps like to eat. Um, Piglet assumed that they would be attack, attracted by acorns, and Pooh thought, but first... You remember what a heffalump is, don't you? One day when Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet were all talking together, Christopher Robin finished the mouthful he was eating and said carelessly, I saw a heffalump today, Piglet. What was it doing? asked Piglet. Just lumping along, said Christopher Robin. I don't think it saw me. I saw one once, said Piglet. At least I think I did, he said, only perhaps it wasn't. So did I, said Pooh. Wondering what a heffalump was like, you don't see, you don't often see them," said Christopher Robin, carelessly. "Not now," said Piglet. "Not at this time of year," said Pooh. Um, that's that's what a heffalump is. So Pooh and Piglet decided to capture one. The plan started out well. Pooh's first idea was that they should dig a very deep pit, and then the heffalump would come along and fall into the pit. And why? said Piglet. Why what? said Pooh. Why would he fall in? Pooh rubbed his nose with his paw and said that the heffalump might be walking along, humming a little song and looking up at the sky, wondering if it would rain. And so he wouldn't see the very deep pit until he was halfway down, 
when it would be too late. Piglet said that it was a very good trap, but supposing it were raining already? Pooh rubbed his nose again and said he hadn't thought of that. And then he brightened up and said that if it were raining already, the heffalump would be looking at the sky, wondering if it would clear up. And so he wouldn't see the very deep pit until he was halfway down, when it would be too late. Piglet said that now that the, this point had been explained, he thought that it was a cunning trap. Pooh was very proud when he heard this, and he felt that the heffalump was as good as caught already. But there was just one thing which he had which had to be thought about, and it was this. Where where should they dig the very deep pit? Piglet said that the best place would be somewhere where a heffalump was, just before he fell into it, only about a foot farther on. But then he would see us digging it, said Pooh. Not if he was looking at the sky. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Let's see. First you dig a hole, making sure that it's big enough for a heffalump. How many more pages of this chapter? Oh my gosh, there's like a lot more pages. Let's pause right there. This is a long... This Carlson Pie chapter is quite the... Quite the beefy chapter. Um, must, must be a... A pie that serves a dozen people. A baker's dozen people. <laughs> Put my uh, Matt Cain bookmark back in there. Excuse me. Okay, very good. That was a lot of a lot of uh, poo we just read right there. Um a lot of Taoism. Man. I I like the idea of like explaining a philosophy through through like a pop culture, through like a TV show or like um yeah, like Winnie the Pooh through a character that people know. That's such a cool idea. I love that. It's a great way to it's a great way to teach people. Use something people know to teach it. Interesting. Alright, where were we here? We left ya. Oh yes, here we are. Hotel for Dogs. 2009. We just said that one. Two kids secretly take in stray dogs at a vacant hotel. Family comedy. 100 minutes. Wow. Wonder if they were calling like room service. They're just all barking. Barking for room service. <laughs> There's a you get a wake up bark instead of a wake up call. You get a wake up belly scratch. There you go. Um two thousand nine. Powder blue. She plays Sally. What is this? Four Los Angelinos, a mortician, an ex-con, a suicidal ex-priest, and a stripper are brought together on Christmas Eve by a mixture of circumstances. That sounds like it's like a really dark version of the village people. It's, I don't know. Jessica Beale's in it, too. That's dark. That's dork. Dork. It's dork. Um, 2009, Paper Man. She plays Claire Dunn. What was this one? I've heard of this one. Jeff Daniels. Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Emma Stone. Some big names in it. A washed-up writer forms an unlikely relationship, uh, friendship 
with a teenager from Long Island. Huh. 110 minutes comedy drama. Paper Man. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a... I like these, like, lo-fi... Um, like, kind of like... Yeah, the Mumblecore superheroes. It reminds me of uh, that James Gunn movie... This starred Rain Wilson called Super. That was a really good one. I think it's the same kind of movie as Paperman. Like, what's his super? His superpower is owning a 2005 Toyota Corolla. Because <laughs> that's what all Papermen drive. Um, he's owning a, a Honda Accord. He must have a really good arm. Maybe that's what his superpower is. He can throw a paper... A full city block. <laughs> he can throw a paper over 12 foot hedges. Like somehow like loop it over someone's backyard pool. Um, right into their bird bath. Let's see. I would want, I want to watch that. that. Sounds fun. 2009. Band Slam. She plays Karen. Band Slam. 111 Minutes, Comedy, Drama, Family, PG. A new kid in town assembles a fledgling rock band. Together they achieve their dreams and compete against the best in the biggest event of the year, a battle of the bands. Kind of like a school rock, Jack Black. It's like school rock meets rock star meets, what's that, Meryl Streep movie? Gem in the... With Shem and the Holograms. No, that's not the Meryl Streep one. Oh, hers was a uh, Ricky and the Flash. Yep. Y'all, we talked about it before. 2009, The Other Woman. Uh, she plays Carolyn. I'm double-checking my trusty legal pad right now. Um, wait, did I... I didn't tell you guys... I did not tell you guys my uh, the pie chart I made yet. I believe... Okay, I don't think I've said this yet. I'm pretty sure I haven't... Yeah, I haven't said this. <laughs> my favorite fruit. I made a pie chart. I've been doing pie charts every episode. It's a new regular segment. So here's a, here's one for my favorite fruits. Yeah, I haven't said this yet. Uh, grapes are 2%. Bananas, 10%. Kiwis... 19%, peaches are 24%, and the grand winner, the grand prize winner, coming in, 45%, cherries, cherries, maraschino, definitely maraschino, specifically, um, yeah, I love cherries, I could eat like, I could take down a whole jar of those in like two days, and then drink the cherry juice. I don't waste that cherry juice. I use the whole buffalo. I use the whole cherry buffalo. Just a buffalo made out of cherries. That'd be a great Christmas present. I got you a cherry buffalo. <laughs> that sounds like a drink at a bar, actually. Like That definitely sounds like a cocktail. Like with some, like, absinthe. <laughs> or like something heavy like Everclear or Absinthe or something. Make you hallucinate. 
Give me the double. Give me a double cherry buffalo. Oh my god. Um, yeah, it sounds rough. Dave, can you teach me how to make a cherry buffalo? Um, let's see. Is there anything else? No, let's just get back to nothing else on the old legal pad. We're just gonna keep trucking. And I can't believe we're almost gonna wrap it up already. Like I said, this is gonna be a shorty. This is a shorty. This is almost a mini. Uh, 2009 Other Woman. Let's see what the Other Woman was. Man, we read a lot of... We read a lot of, uh... The Tao of Pooh. Sorry if you're not into that. <laughs> Sorry if you're not into that, uh... Philosophy stuff. But I... I bet you... I think most people... Most people can find something interesting about it. Like... Just find a way to help you... Discover the... The magic of the present moment. Like Thich Nhat Hanh says. Um... I don't know, I like that stuff. It makes you think about life in a different way. Try to consider other points of views. Um, let's see. What's the other woman? It's 102 minutes. Drama. Radar. 2009. Excuse me. Excuse me. It says sausage biscuits. Holy cow. And those eggs. I ate a lot of eggs already. I still got this whole one just sitting right next to me right here. That's my post-podcast meal right there. Um, I'm not going to subject you guys to listen to me eat that. You're welcome. Uh, the other woman. The story of a woman dealing with her daughter's death while trying to keep her marriage in her relationship with her stepson. Dang, that's a, that's a dark story. Um, she's in one episode of Cougar Town as Dr. Amy Evans. Old Courtney Cox's old show. She's in Easy A. That's a good movie. She plays Mrs. Griffith. Emma Stone movie here. A rom-com. Drum. Rom-com drum. 92 minutes. PG-13. A clean, a clean cut high school student. Relies on the school's rumor mill. To advance her social and financial standing. It's one of those, uh, it's kind of like a modern day Clueless, I would compare it to. Um, little Ferris Bueller in there, little Ferris Bueller. Alan Gregory, the TV show, 2011, she plays Sheila, it's a cartoon. So many cartoons, so many new cartoons, and for like adults too. Uh, 2013 TV show, Wendell and Vinny. She plays Natasha Kraft, one episode. Uh, she is in 2013 TV show Scandal. Congresswoman Josephine Marcus, four episodes. She is in, that's the Kerry Washington show. Let's see what Wendell and Vinny was. The poster for this has got me curious. It's a kid, he's balancing an apple on his head. Oh, it's because he's a genius. A lovable goofball uncle becomes the guardian of his nephew, a 12-year-old genius. So it's like a, what's it called, um, Doogie Howser situation. I see. I see. It's a Doogie Howser meets um, young, what's the name? Young, the dude from Big Bang Theory. 
Sheldon, young Sheldon. There we go. <laughs> I, I thought of it. Victory. Victory is mine. Uh, 2014. This was a good movie. Dean Carol Gladstone in 2014's Neighbors. Uh, Seth Rogen, Zac Efron, Rose Byrne. This movie's super funny. 97-minute comedy, Red R. After the... After they're forced to live next to a fraternity house, a couple with a newborn baby do whatever they can to take them down. So it's sort of like a reverse old school. So old, the oldest movie in the book, the old reverse old school. Uh, it's a great movie though. Super, super funny. Good, good party scenes. Good college movie. Uh, we've seen this a bunch. Oh, what? This is her show? Is this? Oh, this is Lisa Kudrow's show. We've seen this appear on other people's IMDb's. It's a web series, um, web therapy. She's. It's been going since two thousand eight, and it's still going. It's, it's uh only five minutes comedy. Doctor Fiona Wallace is sick of hearing about dreams and feelings. She then decides that three minutes over webcam is better than 50 minutes of patients rambling on. Oh, I like that. So she just plays a therapist that just Skypes with uh, her patient for three minutes. She always is playing the... Lisa Kudrow is good at playing like doctors and dean of, like a dean of students or like a teacher or like a therapist. Someone in like a position of power. She's always... She's always in those, like, respectable roles. I like that. Um, oh, this was a TV series on Showtime. Oh, okay. But it was a it was a web series. Okay. It was actually only a web series from 2008 to 2014. But uh, it was a TV show, 2011 to 2015, on Showtime for 44 episodes. Fiona Wallace. Okay. Those the, the old web series to Showtime pipeline, the oldest move in the book. Uh, what web series doesn't become a show on Showtime? <laughs> um, very good. Okay, cool. TV show, two thousand five to twenty fourteen, the comeback, Valerie Cherish, twenty one episodes. Let's see what that one is. 30-minute comedy, an ex-A-list celebrity attempts to rekindle the flame of her once prominent acting career with nothing but a camera crew and some determination. Excuse me. Lisa Kudrow. Who's the... Malin Ackerman's in it from Children's Hospital. Okay. Key, BoJack Horseman. People love that show. I've seen the the only episode I've ever seen is the one that got nominated for the Emmy or whatever. It was so dramatic. Such a serious cartoon. It kind of freaks me out when cartoons are like super serious and like very realistic and like they're the characters are dealing with like serious situations. I don't know. It's scary. Almost scarier than like when it happens in the real in a live action. Uh 
Bojack Horseman, Wanda Pierce, seven episodes. 2015. 2016, TV show, Angie Tribeca. We've talked about it. Uh, Monica Vivarcour for one episode. Angie Tribeca is the Rashida Jones show on TBS. I think it's over. I think it's maybe it's still going. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see if Angie Tribeca is still going. And then, then we'll check the uh, Yankees game. Let's check the Yanks. It's a final. Oh my goodness. This is a football score. What is this? I don't know what sport this is. Is it baseball or football? 17 to 7. Wow. Holy cow. And Angie Tribeca, as for that, it is still going. Okay. Very good. Very good. The fourth season was released in its entirety across December 29th and December 30th, 2018. It's a pretty funny show. It's just like... It's uh, basically like Airplane. The movie. Or that kind of... That kind of like really dumb slapstick humor. Parody. What's it called? Those parody movies, you know? A satire. Uh, 2016. A cartoon movie called Americano. Never heard of this one. She plays the voice of Lucille. 2016... Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising, Dean Carroll Gladstone. That was funny, too. That one came out when I worked at uh, AMC Woodenville. Speaking of which, oh my goodness. Almost let it get away from me there. I almost let, I feel like I was noodling. I was noodling with a catfish, like trying to catch a catfish in a hole right there. And almost let it get away, but then I managed to pull it out. Without um, letting it bite my finger off. Let me get a sip of water from my Red Robin Gourmet Burgers and Brew Red Water Ball to celebrate. Mm-mm-mm. Yes, to celebrate that I remembered that it's now time. It's that time of the episode. We do it every episode to talk about AMC. Triple feature, baby. Let's do it. You thought you thought I was gonna forget. I thought I was gonna let it slip away. It's like I was riding a wave on a surfboard, and I almost crashed for a second there. The surfboard was wobbling, but then I reg- regained my balance, got my confidence back, and then just did a really cool backflip off off my board to celebrate. Um, let's do it. Let's do it, baby. AMC triple feature. All right. The year was two thousand nine. The month, I mean, you know this, if you listen to the first 26 episodes of Stars Born, you're, if you're a real starfish, if you're a true member of the Milky Way, you're with me, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, June 2009, baby, AMC Winnable Movie Theater, I was with my best bud growing up, Steve Nungrecht, uh, shout out Steven, uh, yeah, we decided to see the movie Year One. Starring Jack Black and Michael Sarah. Also talked about that one in the Paul Rudd episode, episode four. Um, I don't know how we decided to go to this movie. I'm guessing they must have been 
advertising it heavily. I'm sure that there was a ton of commercials for it. It was one of those movies that the studio was really trying to to cram down the audience's throat, trying to push it, trying to make it work, but you just can't can't make them all work, you know. I think I think the audience is smarter than than the like Hollywood realizes when it comes to like comedies. I mean, I'm sure that's how hard it is to make a funny movie too. Because so many different opinions get like, so many different voices get to have their opinion on it, and people change the original scripts. I'm sure Year One was probably a funnier movie when whoever wrote it, when they did write it, but I'm sure it got changed. Something happened because it wasn't that funny. It was just okay though, not not great, but we definitely got a pick me up. When we walked on over to the other side of the movie theater and snuck in, we uh, went through the obstacle course, went through the uh, the tires, did, did our chopped our feet, did the quick feet through the tires, like a football off season, um, like a football two a day. Um, we jumped over the wall, climbed over the wall, and made it through the obstacle course. <clears throat> Army crawled under the barbed wire. And made it through the ultimate gauntlet, snuck in, past the guards, into movie theater number nine to watch The Hangover. One of the funniest movies of all time. Talked about it, episode three, Brody Stevens. You got it. You got it. 818. Um, positivity. Um, yeah, Brody Stevens. He was in there. He played like he was one of the policemen in the the scene where where they all get tased. That's one of the most classic scenes in that movie. One of the most memorable ones. Uh, that's just a, such a funny movie. So we were probably laughing, laughing, laughing the whole time. And after it, we walked on over to the other side of the aisle, theater number ten, and we watched Land of the Lost. Which we address this one, episode one, the very first ever episode of A Star is Born. Will Ferrell, he starred in it, uh, starred in Land of the Lost. Oh my goodness, it was terrible. Based on the 1970s TV show by Sid and Marty Croft. Just, I, I guess maybe you have to be a fan of the TV show or something, or like read the books or write fan fiction for it or something or be a member of the fan club or I don't know what but I did not understand what was going on during that movie <laughs> but I I haven't seen it since since we saw it in theaters that day so that was it that was your AMC triple feature baby there you go you are welcome um let's get back to I <laughs> like I'm just saying you're welcome no, thank you. Thank you. All right, back to Lisa Coods. Back to the Coods. It's like the Croods, but the Coods. Man, I wonder if that's her nickname. What's up, Coods? <laughs> All right. 2016, The Girl on the Train. She plays Martha. What was this one? This was... Is this Emily Blunt? Yep. Uh... Jim, Jim from the office's real wife. Not Pam 
for all you people who think you think TV's real life. Well, Jim and Pam hate to break to you. This is like it's like telling a hipster that Santa Claus isn't real. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but Jim and Pam aren't together in real life. They're actually not. Those two people aren't married in real life. <laughs> uh, and they're like, what? No. But they are so... Their facial expressions, their raised eyebrows and smug shrugs. The smug shrugs. That's my favorite. That's my favorite garage band. My favorite punk garage band. The smug shrugs. All right, um, the girl on the train, back to it, uh, 112 minutes, raid R, con- crime, drama, mystery, a divorcee becomes entangled in a missing person's investigation that promises to send shockwaves throughout her life, her life, a missing person's investigation, so there must be a lot of milk cartons involved. It's one of those movies where they drink a bunch of milk and they just keep they just keep showing pictures of the missing people on the curtains, I guess. Uh 2017, table 19. Bina Kep. Bina. Never seen that name. B I N A. Bina. Bina? Bina. Uh 87 men. Rom com drum. PG 13. Uh, Anna Kendrick's in it. I like Anna Kendrick. We're going to definitely have to do an episode of her in the future sometime. But Table 19. Eloise. Oh, I mean, speaking of Anna Kendrick, though, if you guys haven't seen her uh, cup stacking music video, it's for her, like, because she's a singer, you know, too. She's a singer and an actor. That's how talented Anna Kendrick is. She does this crazy cup stacking thing for her music video, for her like most well-known song. It kind of reminds me of uh, Cheap Seats, because that's like something they would watch. They should do a... That'd be fun if they recorded a Cheap Seats like, short. They could do a Cheap Seats mini-episode and just watch Anna Kendrick stack cups. I like that. That'd be cool. Um, Let's see, Table 19... Eloise, having been relieved of maid of honor duties after being unceremoniously dumped by the best man via text, decides to attend the wedding anyway, only to find herself seated with five fellow unwanted guests at the dreaded Table 19. Sounds like a fun movie. There should be more wedding movies. There's not... There's like wedding crashers, but there's not that many wedding movies. Um... Let's see, 2017, The Boss Baby. She's the mom, the voice of the mom. This was a funny movie. Speaking of mom, I watched this movie with my mom. And it's hilarious. It's actually really funny. Let's see, I'll tell you what it is. Alec Baldwin is the voice of the baby. So picture a baby with Alec Baldwin's voice. If you're not already laughing, then (laughs) I'll tell you what it's about. Uh, Adventure... Animation, comedy, 97 minutes, PG. A suit-wearing, briefcase-carrying baby pairs up with his seven-year-old brother to to stop the dastardly plot of the CEO of Puppy Company. Puppy Co. Um, Yeah, it's funny. 
has a good message at the end. I think it may, I think I might have cried. I think it maybe Boss Baby made me cry. It was that deep. So Inside Out definitely made me cry. Inside Out, oh man, that movie's intense. Um, and the the sketch at the beginning of Inside Out, that lava sketch. Oh my gosh, so good. I lava you. Wait, how's that song go? And now I need to like look up the. Everyone knows the song. It won a. It won an Oscar. Lava song. I wonder if that's the one. Yeah. I have a long, long. He said, I have a dream I hope will come true that you're here with me and I'm here with you. I wish that the earth. Sea and the sky up above will send me someone to love. Yeah, such a good song. I wish that the earth, sea, and the sky up above will send me someone to love. Okay, if you haven't seen that sketch, you can probably watch it on on uh, YouTube. It's like five minute short video called Lava Pixar. Super good. All right. Um, uh, twenty eighteen TV series. Grace and Frankie. She plays Cherie for three episodes. I've had. I've heard this one. I've heard about it. I think Netflix. Yep. Add it to your Netflix queue, if you wish. 30-minute comedy. Finding out that their husbands are not just work partners, but have also been romantically involved for the last 20 years. Two women with an already strained relationship try to cope with the circumstances together. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) That's That's such a funny plot. I like it. I didn't know that that's what the plot was. Um, short from 2018, Love Sick Fool, Love in the Age of Like. It's like a Bon Jovi song. Love in the Age of Like. Is love in the Age of Like. Love in the Age of Like. Yeah. That song makes me want to like do a, like a knee slide across the stage. Just like stage, like dive into the crowd, like crowd surf. Just throw my hair and throw my hair back and just scream. Wow. <laughs> Love in the age I like. Actually, that that's more like a kiss song. That makes you, I can picture kiss singing that. Like they just stick their tongues out, like all their. You know, kiss. Um, Ozma. She plays Ozma, the voice of. My dad's friend Dale is a huge fan of, of Kiss. Like he's a he. Wait, what's the Kiss Army? That's what they're called. He's a member of the Kiss Army. Um, but I just want to see him. He's like such a mild mannered, like regular dude. Just like works for 
Montana State University. I want to see him just all decked out in his kiss makeup, just got his tongue out, just got like a giant wig on or something, <laughs> wearing like assless chaps, leather boots. Love in the age like. Um, unbreakable, unbreakable. Kimmy Schmidt, unbreakable, unbreakable. <laughs> uh, Lori Ann Schmidt, Fairy Godmother, three episodes, 2016 to 2019. Oh, is that show over? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it's over. That's too bad. We've talked about this one. Someone was in this as well. Um, that show's hilarious on Netflix. Especially if you like like the 30 Rock kind of style. It's more 30 Rock than Parks and Recreation and The Office. It's more like a super fast, lots of jokes per minute. Similar to a Modern Family, 30 Rock. Um, it's super funny though. It has a Aaron from The Office. Plays Kimmy Schmidt. It's hilarious. Uh, 2019... Longshot. She plays Catherine. Let's see what Longshot is. 120 minute comedy. When Fred Flarsky. Fred Flarsky. Hey, nice to meet you. Put her there. Name's Fred Flarsky. Reunites with his first crush. One of the most influential people, women in the world. Charlotte Field. He charms her as she prepares to make a run for the presidency. Charlotte hires Fred as her speechwriter and sparks fly. Uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Wait, when is this coming out? May 3rd it comes out. This sounds... This sounds very interesting. I like Charlize Theron, episode 13 of Stars Born. I like Seth Rogen. Future episode of Starborn. This kind of reminds me of the interview for some reason. Um, yeah, because cause he's pl- kind of playing her her assistant. Just like he was assistant to James Franco in the interview. And I just saw the end of that movie with my roommate the other day, like I told y'all. Um, let's see. The end of that movie is so great. Of the interview. 2019, I mean, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the end of the movie, the part I like about the end of the interview is when they're on the boat and Scorpion's playing, Wind of Change, and that, like, the guitar lick comes in, and it's just, like, it's a panoramic view, speaking of panoramic, coming from the panoist, the pano man himself, Nobody likes panoramics more than me. Um, just the beautiful boat on the lake. Panoramic view of it. And then that scorpion wind of change. Like first, I think it's the guitar. Could be the bass, I don't know. But that first little lick comes in. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's almost, it's just, I love it when movies perfectly match a song to like a scene like you guys know what I'm saying when they just 
when they choose the perfect song for a scene, it just enhances the movie so much. It just makes it stand out, and you remember it. That's what happened with the interview. They chose the right song. And not only did they choose the right song, but they chose the right part of the song to play. Like, the beginning. Like, you have to choose, like, the perfect part of the song to play, and then it comes on. It matters, like, when it comes on, and everything. So many details. I don't know. It just makes it stick. Makes it mean more. I like it. This is... Lisa Kudrow, Lisa Kudz, Kudz, Booksmart, she's in a movie called Booksmart, 2019, comedy, yeah, like, I'm still thinking about, like, the song, the song and scene selection, like, the matching, like, if you're, like, doing a chase scene, you want to play, like, a Arctic Monkey song or something, something fast-paced, and then... If it's like a love scene, it's like Michael Buble. Speaking of Michael Buble, something just, I saw his name in the news like yesterday and I didn't, I didn't click on it. So let's see if something's happened with Michael Buble. Boobs. <laughs> Michael Boobs. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever asked someone to nickname him that. Um. Okay, that must have just been like. Oh, wow. Uh, Michael Buble. Air. Wait. What? People have asked me, what do you, what made you come back? And this is just the truth. My son was cured. It's as simple as that. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously, obviously it's still scary. And it was even more scary. But I had fallen out of love with music. I just thought, how could I do this with a broken heart? It wasn't like there was some kind of conscious decision. I didn't have a choice. But when they told us he was okay, I don't know how to understate how much the perspective of myself and my life changed in every way. Because it says his, um, his son had a cancer. His son's cancer battle. Yeah, wow. Dang. Um, okay. So, Booksmart, Michael Buble. Man, just haven't met you yet. Wait, how's that one? Haven't met you yet. Haven't met you. I just haven't met you. That's a good one. Here we go. Uh, and I know somebody that'll all turn up. You'll make me work so we can work to work it out. And I promise you, kid, that I'll give you so much more than I get. Yeah, I just haven't met you yet. Ooh. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Buble. I like him. I like his music. He's like, his voice sounds like a, like a, one of those tiny waterfalls you know those like zen waterfalls that people have in their rooms that's what Michael Buble sounds like he's he sounds like a like a a shade carpet but like a a good shade carpet though (laughs) that brings back memories of 
of the 80s. Like one of those bright orange ones. Um, let's see. Let's read a little bit more Night Hoops. I got Night Hoops fever. Chapter 8. We had we had our own little Christmas dinner. Scott, me, and Mom. Uh, ham, mashed potatoes, asparagus, and for dessert, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. There was nothing wrong with it, but there was nothing right with it either. I kept thinking about when I was younger. Five, six, seven. Then two of my grandparents were still alive. The table was so crowded with food and people that we had to put the extra leaf in. And the house, too, was full of sounds. My grandfather's transistor radio new, always on the news. The jangling bracelets on my grandmother's arm. Now they were both dead, and my father was gone. My whole world seemed to be shrinking. After dinner, I told Mom about Victoria. She was upset at the thought of me, my being alone. You come with us to Monterey. I can get another ticket. But I knew how worried she was about money. Besides, the idea of seeing Scott on stage was too much for me. The way things were coming together for him just reminded me how everything was falling apart for me. I'll be 16 this summer. I can spend a few days alone. If I need anything, I can always call Dad. She thought, you can stay at your dad's place. If you want, I'll ask. I don't want to stay there, I said, wondering if she knew about his living girlfriend. I'll be fine here. We talked some more about it until she finally came around, but she hugged me tight when the airport shuttle arrived at her door early the next morning. I'll call every night, she said. Scott grinned at me. Hey, Nick, now you can have one of those wild parties that make the newspaper. You know, Bothell police arrest. That will be enough, my mother said. I could tell she didn't think Scott was being the least bit funny. Then they were down the walkway and into the van. Good luck, I shouted to Scott as the door closed. Once they were gone, the house seemed wrong, as if it were a stranger's. When I took a cup down from the cabinet, it clattered on the counter. When I closed the door, the sound echoed loudly, as if I were in a museum. The background sounds of the house, sounds like my mother typing on her computer, or Scott practicing his trumpet were all si absent. Outside, a light rain was falling. I turned on the television and tried to watch a movie, but my mind kept wandering. I turned the movie off, stuck in a Sonics video, but even that didn't help. The announcer was screaming about some tremendous dunk, but there was nothing inside me to match his excitement. Time crawled by. I had to force myself to eat lunch. The mail came, three catalogs, two for clothes, one filled with Valentine stuff. Around four, my mother phoned. They were in the hotel in Monterey. It was windy, but the sun was shining, and the coast of California was incredibly beautiful. She put Scott on. The band was going to compete the next morning, go to the aquarium in the afternoon, then take a night cruise in the bay. They say there might be whales. I ate a TV dinner, or half of it, and then went to my room and turned on the radio. The Washington Huskies were at Wisconsin, up by six at the start of the second half. I listened for a few minutes, then flicked the radio off. I thought about calling Dad, but I didn't have anything to say to him. Besides, his girlfriend might have answered, and I definitely didn't want to talk to her. I turned off the light and lay on my bed in the dark, listening to the silence. That's when I heard the gate creak open and the bouncing ball. In the summer, I'd been playing. I'd been the one playing ball all the time. Trent had been the loser, the quitter who walked off the court whenever his brother showed up. Now he was playing basketball every minute. He wasn't studying. 
and I was spending my time turning the television off and on, flipping through catalogs, and generally doing nothing. When he became eligible and he'd make it with all and he'd make it with all the studying he'd done, he'd move ahead of me in O'Leary's rotation. I'd be the last guy on the bench. My body was settled in, into the soft bed. My stereo was right there. If I turned it on, I could block out Trent, uh, block basketball out, block everything out. There are moments in your life when you know you've got to go in one direction or the other. I took a deep breath, exhaled, then I pulled myself off the bed, changed into my sweats, and tramped downstairs and out the back door. When Trent saw me, he jumped back as if he'd seen a ghost. It took a second, but then I realized what happened. I scared him. The lights were out in my house. He must have figured the place was empty, that I was in Victoria, and that my mom and Scott were gone too. You mind if I shoot around with you? I asked. It was a crazy question. He was in my backyard shooting at my hoop. Then again, maybe it wasn't so crazy. Because once once night fell, the court became his, and I was the outsider. Sure, he said, you can play. In the pale moonlight, the basket seemed only half real, half there. You'd think the darkness would make it hard to shoot, but it actually helped me concentrate. There wasn't, there's nothing else to see, nothing else to hear. O'Leary wasn't shouting instructions at me. My dad wasn't scrutinizing my every move. There was just the basket in front of me, the ball in my hands, and Trent defending. But in a way, that's not even right. Because it wasn't Trent, or at least not the Trent I knew, the tough guy Trent, the Trent who'd knock you down as soon as you look at um, as soon as I look at you. There are none of the pointless shoves, none of the mean-spirited fouls, none of the trash talk that marked his game. Not that he didn't play tough. He guarded me tight on defense and came at me hard on offense. I did the same to him, but everything was fair. It was the purest game of basketball I'd ever played, so pure that neither of us thought of keeping score. If we hadn't tired, um, I think we would have played all night. But finally, on a star step, he dribbled the ball off his foot. It rolled into the bushes, and neither of us made a move to go get it. Enough, he said. Enough, I replied. I went inside and got a liter of Pepsi and brought it out. I suppose I could have invited him in, but I didn't want to leave the darkness. Um, we drank in silence for a few minutes. That was a good game, I said. Yeah, he answered. It was. He took another swig, then stood to leave. How about tomorrow night, I asked. You want to play again? Okay. Tomorrow night. There we go. And tomorrow night, it will be Nick and Trent. Play more, play more basketball. I love it. Basketball in the backyard at night. That sounds fun. Sounds like uh, what I used to do all the time in the driveway. Just spend hours shooting hoops at night, no matter what time of day. I'm sure, the neighbors loved it. I'm sure, the neighbors just got used to it, though. You know, no one never said anything about it. I gotta stop some kid playing basketball. Um, yeah, that was definitely my favorite thing to do growing up. My favorite hobby, shooting hoops in the driveway. Always having to ask my parents to move the car. I remember this one time. I can't remember if I told you guys this, but I asked my grandpa. He was visiting. Uh, my grandma and grandpa were visiting. And I asked my grandpa to move the car so I could shoot hoops. And I think it started to rain or something. And I only stayed out there for like... 10 minutes and then I came back inside 
He was like, you're already coming inside? He's like, you're only out there for like 10 minutes. I just specifically remember that. That was so funny. It must have been rain. I wouldn't have come inside if not for the rain. Um, Let's see. So this is called Coods. Coods is in a movie called Booksmart 2019. 105 minutes comedy. On the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realize they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. Will Forte is also in it. And uh, Jason Sudeikis. It's like a SNL reunion right there. That sounds pretty funny. Um, let's see. Sounds like super bad actually. Sounds a lot like super bad. Let's go back. There we go. Human Discoveries, a TV series. Let's see what that is. And then one more credit. Oh my goodness. Oh my god, we already made it. Human Discoveries is a group of friends living at the dawn of human civilization are the first to discover necessities like fire and the wheel. We'll watch as they stumble onto humanity's best and worst innovations, art, alcohol, fashion, racism, small talk, and much more to their confusion. Uh, much to their confusion? Monogamy. <laughs> uh huh. So is it like a. It's like a sitcom. It's not. I was thinking it was like a planet Earth thing, like a National Geographic, Animal Planet. One of those, maybe I thought that Lisa Kudrow was the narrator for it. She just did the voice. You know, it looks like a sitcom. Sounds pretty funny. Okay. We made it. Oh my gosh, guys. I can't believe we made it here. 78 out of 78. It's a TV movie. She's still doing the TV movies. Speaking narrator. She's the narrator in this. It's, um called Bright Futures. It's a comedy. A group of young friends stumbling through the transition from immaturity to success. Incredibly general. One of those very vague, not descriptive uh, plot at all. That's okay. That just means uh, maybe they're just trying to get people to watch it. There's like, if we tell too much about it, then they won't want to watch it. <laughs> so... We'll just make them wondering. We'll just make people curious. and That'll force them to tune in. Maybe that's their thought process. Alright. We did it, guys. I can't believe we did it. 78 of 78 for Lisa Kudrow. We made it through all three friends. Ladies. Let's do a top three, bomb three for Kudz. Let's do top three first. Easy A. Neighbors. And, um... We could go Neighbors 2, but that's kind of boring. Easy A. Neighbors. She doesn't have any old movies I recognize either. Not from the 90s. So we're going to have to see if there's any. I think we do have to go Neighbors 2. Yeah. It's too bad, really. Too bad she hasn't been in more good movies. More like comedies. I feel like Lisa Kudrow should be... She should play more comedic characters because she was so funny as Phoebe in Friends. 
but then she's always playing the serious role in these movies. Yeah, let's do Neighbors 2. So Neighbors, Neighbors 2, and... um. Oh, no, let's do Boss Baby. We'll do Boss Baby, Neighbors, and Easy A for top three. And for the bottom three, we will do Band Slam, The Other Woman, and Powder Blue. No, I don't, not The Other Woman. Let's do Band Slam, Powder Blue, and Hotel for Dogs. <laughs> Just because that one seems, that's like a Marley and Me wannabe. That's a knockoff. That's a, it's a poser. <laughs> it's a poser movie. Um, that is a cool concept. I actually do like the, the idea for a movie like a dog hotel, but maybe like more of like an Adult Swim cartoon. Maybe maybe something like that. Um, there we go. Can't believe we did it. A hotel for dogs. That would there would just be. That would be disgusting. There'd be <laughs> there'd be dog poop all over the aisles. Just everywhere. Can you imagine having to work as like the as the the maid, as a maid at the hotel for dogs? That'd be terrible. You'd be carrying like a shovel. Just shovel all of it up. Oh my gosh. The rooms would just be like the curtains are just destroyed. The blankets are just torn up. Pillows are just eaten. Towels are just scattered everywhere. Just like humans, though. Like, they, they scatter the towels, too, so. The towels are just on the ground, just like. That's the only part that's not it's not any bad, any worse. <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. Uh, people always throw their towels on the ground in hotel rooms. I don't know why. But it's just, that's what you do when you're in a hotel room. You're like. I'm gonna throw. All, I'm gonna use all these towels. I'm gonna use as many of them as I can. Then I'm gonna ball them up and just throw them under the sink. Just make a little pile. Um, that's what that's what the dogs would do. Dogs would just use the towels to. <laughs> maybe they would use them to play with them as toy. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I'm just rambling on about a hotel for dog. You guys got to stop me sometimes. <laughs> You're like, what are you even talking about anymore? I'm thinking about the front desk. I talked about the hotel for dogs. We talked about that earlier this episode. We were joking about that earlier. Oh my goodness. Let's just wrap this. It's been fun. <laughs> it's been great. It's been so much fun. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Beautiful day out. Um... The sky is a little more cloud-covered right now, but the sun's still out. It's all good. 2.41 p.m. now in Pullman. It's great. Great day. A Saturday. Saturday afternoon. Hope you all are doing great. Check out my books on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Sponge Cake, Most Made Up Story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Check out my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com. Website, christheauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter at ChrisTheAuthor8 and Instagram at ChrisArneson8. And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone, everyone. We're doing it big. We're doing it real. We're doing it live. Doing it for fun, for funsies. I love it. I love doing it. Um, I love talking to you guys. As you can tell, I like talking. Uh, I like having my iced coffee. 
just lend my mouth, just blab, 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 just go on like a, it's got a mind of its own, you know, it's just, it's got a motor, it just keeps motoring on, you know, but I love it, thank you for being an audience, thank you for listening, telling people about it, spreading the good word, building the, the Milky Way of starfishes, building that Milky Way up, going to compete with Snickers, you know, we're doing it. I hope, um, yeah, I hope you guys are having as much fun listening, or just half as much fun listening as I'm having making these, so it's been great. Um, thank you so much. Let's do this. Without further ado, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I may be forgetting, but let's just, let's call it, let's call it a day. Closing time. Time for you to go home to the places where you belong. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. Take me home, home. Closing time. Time for you to go home to the places where you belong. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, I hope you're doing great. Um, keep a smile on your face. Smile, people cheer up, uh, stay, keep your chin up, um, tell people you love them, um, yeah, reconnect with people, don't be afraid to call someone you haven't talked to in a long time, don't be afraid to tell someone you care about them, or give someone a hug if you love them, or all that good stuff, you know, spread, spread the good vibes, um, I'm proud of you, I am proud of you, and thank you. And I love you.